Hello, the internet, and welcome to Premium Bund. For your ears only. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Premium Bond. Thank you once again for joining us in our Simpletons review of the James Bond franchise. My name is Tucker, Lawrence Tucker, and with me as ever is my very own little brick of Nazi gold, Gerard Humphreys. No, that's the nicest thing you've ever called me. <laughs> and we have done a podcast about James Bond again. How are you today, Gerard? I am great. <laughs> I'm G'd up and ready to review <laughs> some <laughs> Bond. Yeah, you, you, you're twitching, you're wired. I can see it in your eyes. You've, you've got the fire. Got the power of Connery. You got the mm, compelling me. <laughs> compelling me to do what? <laughs> no, Connery. Uh, so, so you're not feeling tippity top today to to excuse some of your potential future behaviour. Yes, but okay. you can edit it out. So I generally it'll do, just be I, you talking yeah, to yourself yeah, it, it as usually usual. Is. Gerard speaks a lot more than he does <laughs> in the final cut, and I speak a lot less. I actually have to edit bits of myself in that I've. I have noticed recorded. the conversations with yourself yeah, you've had in it, but uh, some people have described them as scary but powerful. Yeah, yeah, that's how I describe Bond. Speaking of scary, Bond. powerful. <laughs> oh, you, you snakes me to it, you joke snake. Sorry. Uh, today we're going to be reviewing um, Thunderball. I didn't like this film very much. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll find out why not. I'm surprised. When I was watching it, I thought Lawrence will find us a hoot <laughs> and agree with what's going on. Also, you remember last time I said that I remember Thunderball. Okay. I don't remember a fucking thing about Thunderball. I remember one line of dialogue that you really liked, and I remember there being people in wetsuits and that's all that I, when I started watching it I realised I have no fucking clue what I'm going into but Thunderball was released in 1965 uh, and it had a bigger budget than all of the previous Bond films combined which I guess shows in a really stupid way yes um... well there are definitely again little tidbits that I'm going to be shot going through slightly less interesting than normal this time mm. but um, there are tidbits that will bring to light where the budget has gone, including one absolutely fucking ridiculous one at the end, so stay it tuned for that. Can't be any worse than covering rats in chocolate. I mean, it's... <laughs> is it it's equal? a different, different kind of ridiculous, but it is equally absurd, I think, what a man did on the set of this film. Um, I look forward to it. It's, it's, it's incredibly dangerous, and... The most 60s thing I've ever heard of. More 60s than coating rats in chocolate. Also, Thunderball, the most popular Bond film, I believe, ever in terms of gross profit of cinema showings. It had uh, okay. 141 million as a taking worldwide in 1965, and that's not including um, rental figures or anything as well. Mm-hmm. So they did a lot of, uh, a lot of trade. And in fact, uh, one theatre manager... Um, <clears throat> so the rumour goes was threatened with divorce because he couldn't return home because he was at the theatre 24-7 trying to keep up with demand which is obviously bollocks but it's a nice little yeah. thing to think about Bond ruins another marriage <laughs> and another woman's life so so the name Thunderball do you know what the Thunderball name means at all? Um, I feel that at some point I've heard of the reason Almost but no certainly. I can't yeah. remember 
So a thunderball is what the military speak is for a mushroom cloud that comes off an atomic bomb. Ah, okay. So it's very clever, you see, thunderball. Because, um, well, it's not really that clever, but it, it's, it's actually kind of almost pompous. Literal? Pompous, the name, I think. <laughs> Literal button? Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. Mushroom cloud. But... Oh. oh, he's done it. He's linked it in. It wasn't called Thunderball in every location. What was it called? Let me tell you. Let me tell you all these good ones. Israel called it the Ball of Thunder. Why? Because eh, uh, Japan called the film. This is the most Japanese thing I think I've ever read in my life. Thunderball fighting. I mean, no. <laughs> Uh, Germany um, called it Fireball. Good try. I mean, it's literal. (laughs) Brazil had a good name for it. Um, Atomic Blackmail. Again, fairly literal. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I quite like it. It sounds like like a a, a stoner metal band might have a song called Atomic Blackmail or something. Uh, China called it 007 Averts the Spectre. Which is... Flawless. All the movies, but never mind. And my favourite one, and I think this will be your favourite one too, in the Netherlands, they called this film... Oh, the Netherlands. Calm down, Mr. Bond. That's good advice. <laughs> That's very, very good advice. In a lot of situations in this film, I love that. <laughs> what, you don't get that in yeah. one, you? you? don't get films like Calm <laughs> Down, Mr. Bond. Shut up and sit down, Mr. Bond. <laughs> get your shit together, Mr. Bond. So those are the, uh, the the alternate foreign names coming back in mm-hmm. full force. There are also this time I've tag made a, the taglines. Oh. You've, you've got it. You've you've, uh, you've stolen my thunder. Well, you've stolen my thunderball there. Um, there was a lot of harping on the premise of it being the biggest Bond ever, which I guess is because of the budget. Um, <clears throat> so there were things like look up, look down, look out. Here comes the biggest Bond of all. Um, France said W7 is here and it's the most explosive James Bond of all not quite you've nearly got it and probably when he detonated that nuclear power plant that was probably more that, explosive yeah. that's why the, a very strange one which was it's almost like appealing to children with like a, a, an advert for toys if you've only seen it once you haven't seen it all come see the film again give us <laughs> more money I think I got it all in one viewing I've got to see it uh, Australia have a very very strange one here um Look out. Remember, there is only one James Bond, and Thunderball's the biggest of them all. Just even grammatically. That, yeah. That, it's all over the fucking shop. And thank God there's only one Bond, quite frankly. <laughs> this also, uh, the last little bit of uh, triviology here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the third and final film that Terence Young directed. Uh, the, the gig was offered to Guy Hamilton because Goldfinger was so uh, successful, but Guy Hamilton said he couldn't do it because he had creative fatigue. I mean, it doesn't. It's not that creative considering it's the exact same movie over it's, and over again. There's, I'm gonna I'm gonna harp on how bad Terence Young is in this in this whole thing, but. Guy Hamilton's film Goldfinger. I had a lot of fun watching. I had a lot of fun writing the the notes yep. for. I had a lot of fun recording the podcast. And I realised with From Russia with Love and Doctor No was the first one, so it was different. It was new, but then after that, From Russia with Love and this one have I've had exactly the same problems. I've been confused. Yeah, the script doesn't make sense. The plot that the uh, Spectre are trying to enact doesn't make sense. The locations are fucking weird. The dialogue is is 
fucking moon speak, it comes from the garbled mind of a moron. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much... It, it takes me so much longer to watch and write the notes for one of these because I can't figure out what the fuck's happening. There's so many times when like, the villain should have known like who he was and what to do with him or Bond seemed to suddenly yeah. be friends with him again. It was just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll discuss this in in laborious grinding detail with our uniquely negative repellent take on the James Bond franchise. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> but first, enjoy this a cappella version of Thunderball by Tom Jones. Jones, Jones, Jones. Jones. <laughs> dribbles down um, we get our little pinhole camera shot yeah, down the gun yeah. barrel again this time it's different however and I'm so fucking glad that it's not all horrible and jerky uh, we've got Connery doing it for the very first time and it's a lovely smooth action I'm like, <sighs> something I can appreciate what you'd expect from Connery yeah smooth smooth action <laughs> <laughs> visceral slapping noises um, we open on the funeral of Colonel Jacques Bouvard taking place somewhere in France as the priest draws the ceremony to a close we pan to the church's balcony where we see Bond along with an unnamed French secret service operative watching the proceedings intently James having clearly been sent to assassinate the general expresses disappointment that he has instead seemingly died of natural causes with the funeral winding down now, James watches as Bouvard's grieving widow gets in the car and drives away. Miss Bouvard returns to her ludicrously large mansion and heads into the sitting room to relax after a tiring funeral. Bond, however, is already there, somehow. He wastes very little time in punching this woman in mourning straight in her stupid face. But no, 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 it's okay. Actually, it wasn't Bouvard's widow. It was Bouvard himself in a right clever disguise. And James apparently worked this out because the woman opened a car door for herself which a woman would never do <laughs> very thought of it oh. James proceeds to beat up a man in a dress before snapping his neck with a fire poker and fleeing from the now pursuing guards outside James straps himself into a fucking jetpack problem and flies about a hundred feet away from, from the danger he and his friend and operative get in their car taking care of the last few guards with their clever car tricks before speeding away and the intro sequence starts there's a lot in this there's a there uh, is a lot for, for about what would he say for four minutes of footage or something it, 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 there's it's... there's a lot to take in <laughs> I These like to are, think though, becoming my favourite part yeah. of the film because as like a little standalone story which they're supposed to be, they're so wildly <laughs> fucking stupid. I like to think Bond was actually disappointed to find out he hadn't just punched his widow in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! Oh fuck, it's actually Waterman! I shot him it! Thought he was just calling her a bit bitch by saying she opened the door for herself. <laughs> yeah, that I didn't quite get if I 
if I was missing the point when he said like a woman would never open the door of a cut or something like, he gave himself away and it's like um, in, in The Great Escape where they answer in English when he says good luck yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's yeah. the same thing but shit uh, let's begin as we mean to go on with a little ding from our slightly um, slightly different sounding uh, bell which we shall ring whenever something is a little bit outside the realms of good taste uh, that, that might be of its time or might just be pure black and evil from the director's heart. So let's ring the black and evil heart bell. Yay! Delightful. So that's for Bond punching a woman in the face. And he, although it wasn't a woman, in the scene where he punched this person in the face, that was a woman body double he punched. So, well, not physically. <laughs> so, what I quite like is a guy dressing up as a woman to go to his own funeral. Yes. I just think that's brilliant. <laughs> Why not just send his wife? Shut up, okay, one. Okay, <laughs> right, right. Uh, there's a fight scene between Bond and, yeah, and, the, and the guy. It's not particularly of note, uh, but Bond does slide a chair across a wooden floor, like 10 or so metres, and he does so with such force that he knocks the man off his feet, which I thought was... Fairly funny. And that's, I, I believe, the first of about a hundred uses of um, fast-forwarding the footage to make oh it seem faster. Oh my god, yeah. It's appalling. <laughs> it's it's really rubbish looking. Shot. I don't know why he left it in. So Bond chokes him to death with a fire poker, uh-huh. and Bond leaves, but then he comes back yep. to chuck some flowers yeah. at him. And that's not the... This is a, a motif of the film, of Bond being a, a really fucking arrogant prick, like more so than normal for Bond. And it started to become a bit wearing... The arrogance for him to go, oh, there are guards coming after me. Probably got time to make fun of this corpse. Yeah, and then he runs outside. Yep. And he puts his helmet on. And at this point, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be fucking stupid. And I was not disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That fucking jetpack. I also love to think of how much help a helmet's going to be when your jetpack face just drops you on your head. there's, There's actually a Bond fact here. The reason he wears the helmet is because the stuntman, it was a real jetpack, apparently. I've seen it like, outside of Bond yeah. before. It... The the stuntman that was doing it refused to do the shot without a uh, helmet. So Bond had to put one on to basically yeah, to make, go, it, yeah, to yeah. make it consistent. Um, and they, they really tried to talk this guy out of wearing a helmet because Bond has to look suave. He can't wear a yeah. big helmet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they could have maybe I don't know got out the whole scene altogether. Maybe, maybe, but it was unmistakably Bond. Duh, duh. Duh. I'm going to have a little partridge moment here. Mm. When when they get into the car and the guards are coming running at them, they use two riot cannons. Yes, two, two like uh, riot hoses to knock the guards down uh-huh. in this quite small sports car. Yep, a riot tank or whatever has is massive and it has huge tanks of water a fire truck like the entire mass of a fire truck is yep. a tank of water with a fucking engine attached to it well I really like two to... of them <laughs> I really like to think of the car like speeding away while it's weighed down by tons of water like grinding <laughs> suspension creaking they just sat laughing at them. Or <laughs> uh, why the people didn't go slightly perpendicular as well to the sprays of water. Shut up, one. <laughs> uh, here's another little fact for you. Uh, this entire intro sequence was supposed to take place in a Hong Kong strip joint. Um, but that was changed. Wait, in the... 
is grieving wave no, into no, no, Hong well, Kong's a, a whole, whole different, whole different thing. In a, a oh, right. <laughs> the only thing that stayed the same was the man in drag. But the man in drag in the original one um, was dressed as a peacock in a gold cage when they fought, which I thought oh, you would think was quite I'm so fabulous. gutted. I know, that they didn't go with that. No, I was going to say at least it makes sense. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> that would that make sense. Even if you went to a man dressed as peacock convention <laughs> with someone you hated, it wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> anyway, we dive pun intended, straight into the intro sequence. Silhouetted women pursued by divers with harpoons swim about a bit against a blue background while Thunderball by Tom Jones plays. Pretty full-on Bond, this one. I think it's the first one where it's really, the intro sequence has been like, you know, silhouetted women, guns of a sort. Not just projecting stills. The guy that did this intro sequence, he was the one that did Dr. No's intro sequence as well. (laughs) But I really like this intro sequence, even though there was a bit of crass sexual symbolism in it where I don't know if you saw in a way a woman sort of like swimming away her legs sort of flapping open and closed and then this harpoon comes in the shot and basically shoots a harpoon which is a very phallic object Mm -hmm. straight into where her tuppence would be it's a little over sexualized does it get a ding? I don't think so I don't think it's that that appalling it's just at least they have the fucking good decency to veil it albeit thinly yeah fair enough what does get a ding, however, <laughs> are the lyrics to the song. I don't actually listen to it. <laughs> really? Let me delight you. Uh, so, so the first verse is okay. Uh, that's uh, um, that's all right. And then it starts becoming a little bit shitty. Like, okay, it really speaks ill of James's character. Um, his needs are more, so he gives less. Needs are more, so he gives less. Yeah, yeah. He is a prick. So he acts like a prick. <laughs> yeah, he acts like a prick. Um, any woman he wants, he'll get. He'll break any heart without regret. His days of asking are all gone. Ooh, and that's all one line. And it is also quite on point. For... Yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that is basically the lyrics saying, He's a prick and he'll do a rape. Tra-la-la-la-la. James Bond. Trevor, Trevor Bond. Mm. <laughs> it's a bit depressing. To start off in that foot, but never mind. Right. It gets better, guys, right? Mm. Mm. We open on the streets of Paris. An ominously eye patched man, Monsieur Lagour, enters the headquarters of the International Brotherhood of Assistance for Stateless Persons. Once inside, he enters a super secret hidden door and lets himself into a large conference room in which there's being held a progress meeting headed by Blofeld himself on the various schemes currently being enacted by Spectre. After a few sit reps and a bit of <laughs> light-hearted murder, Monsieur Largo takes the floor to reveal the latest in the organisation's evil plans to demand a ransom from NATO. Though he doesn't make it clear how or why at this point, he does say that one Mr Count Lippy has been sent to the south of England to make the required various preparations in order to do so. And this is a nice little fact for you. Largo, in the books, mm-hmm. he has no eye patch, but he is noted as having abnormally large hands and head that would <laughs> <laughs> that would have made it more interesting I guess but... did you have a favourite member of Spectre uh, well, as you say they're a bit bland and nondescript so it's hard to really I love the British one number 5 he was called 
and they shoehorned in the thing about the the British train robbery, like Spectre being a consultation. Oh, really? okay. And they're, they're going to all these sort of evil, foreign-sounding people, and it's like, um, uh, 320 million we've brought in for doing this murder. And then this this British guy, he's like this bank-working motherfucker, he comes in like, £250,000 for consultation fee for the British train robbery. Hmm. Also, while I've got the floor, I just thought I'd ask if everyone wants to come to my wife Maureen's barbecue on the weekend. <laughs> You'll have to bring your own meat, but it'll be quite a nice day, I think. I think it's... Why, I mean, consulting for stopping a train and beating up the one guard and then taking everything? Quarter of a million. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, there are two American operatives who have been doing some extortion or something, uh-huh. and their haul for the extortion is slightly less than Blofeld would have anticipated. So Blofeld says, I know one of you has been diddling us. And then he goes, ah, I'm going to deal with you now. And then he presses a button and his chair goes electric and he dies. Yes. It drags him down into the floor and it's it's completely needless. And Blofeld says after this that Spectre is a fraternity that relies on the absolute integrity of its members. You just killed a man without warning. And then throughout the film, there's quite a lot of instances where you have to concede that Spectre has not operated with a high degree of integrity. Yeah, this is exactly what I hooked on to as well. I made a mental note to note down all the times they acted with integrity. (laughs) In the book, Blofeld kills the man, not for embezzlement, but because he had sex with a hostage. So Blofeld is so anti-rape, he's willing to murder a man who'd done a rape on Ooh. someone who was supposed to be in his care. Which is probably why him and Bond are loggerheads. Yeah, right? that kind of turns the tables and who's the bad guy, really. Yes. We find James back in England, relaxing in a health spa after his spot of transvestite murder. As he's massaged by a woman, Count Lippe, who apparently just happens to be staying at the same health spa, I guess, all right, enters the massage chamber with a view to make use of James's masseuse. James and Lippe make small talk about how great it is getting all rubbed at by women before Bond notices the Count's unusual tattoo. With his suspicions aroused, he sets off to call Moneypenny in order to check the tattoo's significance. Moneypenny, however, tells him to wait until he's back as he's currently off duty and supposed to be recuperating from having the shit knocked out of him by a man in a dress. At this point, this is where the confusion sort of started yes. for me, was yeah. he has no reason to suspect anything of that man. Bond doesn't. Yeah. Right. You know, he doesn't. He has no reason to suspect anything of that man. But equally, they specifically say in the last scene that... Um, Bouvard was murdered by an unknown assailant. So they don't know James Bond did it. So Count Lippe is just there, there yeah. by coincidence. <laughs> so neither one of them have any reason to suspect the other of anything. Yes. So, what? I mean, it's just a tattoo. Yes. Again, this is a theme of Think and Bond where people identify themselves with rings and tattoos. Oh, don't get me really obviously. Don't get me fucking started. I got so angry. But. I mean, how many people must he meet that have some kind of distinguishing feature? So does Moneypenny keep getting harassment <laughs> That's calls? Why like, him to shut, up shut the fuck Calm up! Calm down, Mister Bond. I've met a really shady-looking guy. Here's <laughs> a, a little stupid bit that you, you, you may enjoy here. Um, Count Lippe walks into the room and he says to Pat, the masseuse and the physiotherapist, um, "I'll see you after a shower, Pat." And then he walks out. He's already toweling himself off after a shower. He's wet and toweling himself. 
Try. <laughs> Just try. And we shall uh, have our first, oh, second, second, we'll have our second ding of the mm-hmm. podcast here for the line, Money Penny, next time I see you, I'll put you across my knee. So your colleagues, don't threaten to spank your female colleague. No. <laughs> Shut up. All right, great. And okay. then she says a really weird line after it. She says something like, yogurt and lemon juice, I'm positively looking forward to it. I don't know what that means. I don't have a clue. Yeah, I looked it up and it, someone reckoned it was like, uh, that's all he's getting fed at this health spa, so he'll be weak. And she'll be like, oh yes, this is a lovely spanking. This isn't a naughty girl spanking. This is a, you know, uh... this is, this is a, a sexy spanking. Little light love taps on my little bottom. That's quite like, an abstract thing to say. I don't even... There's a lot of context. <laughs> Uh, James, never one to listen to Money Penny or indeed women in general, decides to investigate Count Lippy anyway. He lets himself into the Count's room and pokes around his briefcase for a while. Bond then notices movement on the other side of the door and hides himself away from view. The door in question creaks open and a mysterious man with bandages obscuring most of his face enters to check for intruders, having clearly heard James. Before he can uncover the spy, however, he is distracted by a ringing telephone and leaves to answer it. James quickly beats a retreat to his physiotherapy session, watched as he leaves, however, by the bandaged man, who ha, actually did know he was there all along, actually. Why does Count Lippe have a plaque on his door? He's a guest. Um, he doesn't live there. He's really, really special. And it, it, brings, beats... so, it brings his own fucking plaque. <laughs> he put this on the door. Thanks. There's a spy after me, you see. So, just so he knows where my room is. <clears throat> also... Can you take lots of pictures of this tattoo of mine and put it up all over the fucking health spa because it's as good as what he did? Already angry with this film. But yeah, I've got it down as a mild psycho moment. Yeah. Just, he breaks into a man's room for no reason. And also, we get, on the psychopath trail, we get um, another little moment like the flowers earlier where it's almost exactly the same moment where Bond has been discovered, basically. He needs to get out of there quickly to not reveal his spy persona um he comes back after he opens the door to steal a fucking grape from the the bunch of grapes sitting sitting on the table near the door and the the arrogance (laughs) it just made me so angry like you've made sure to go in there and put the briefcase back exactly as it was you know you you don't want anyone to know you've been in there and it's like he's daring Count Lippe to notice him, which, given that he's investigating him apropos of nothing, is very, very <laughs> reckless for the world's greatest spy. Fucking amateur. Bond rejoins. Oh, for fuck's sake, no, no, you power through the scene. Bond rejoins his buxom blonde physiotherapist to resume his treatment after some truly awful borderline sexual abuse. She straps James into a strange machine desire to stretch his back gently and leaves him enjoying that on a low setting for 15 minutes. As Bond relaxes, however, a hand with a strangely noticeable tattoo, which he still hasn't covered, surreptitiously sets the machine to its full setting, which apparently is enough to begin ripping a man apart. James panics and passes out, though is rescued not long after by the returning physiotherapist. She begs him not to tell anyone what has happened, reasoning that the incident could cost her a job, and apologises profusely. Though her words are not enough for our man Bond, who demands a more carnal reward for his silence. He ushers her into the steam room, where the pair fuck. So, the borderline sexual abuse, to to clarify, is 
she is she asks him to lift his arms to like do something or other I can't remember exactly what and he lifts them up and then sort of like drops them around her in a yeah. forced hug and then pulls her head in and forces a kiss on her and she doesn't want it she pulls away and it's like what the fuck are you doing can't be angry with you because it's the 60s and I have to be subservient because I'm in a service position but ooh, you prick that I think it- she says Elaine when she straps him into the machine this is the first time I've felt safe yeah. <laughs> all day not a great first impression <laughs> is it no she's just been caught yeah she wants it clearly yeah anyway I'm going to ding that Yep. So, then after that, well, okay, let's let's start with the lyrics here. Uh-huh. He gets any woman he wants. First woman he's tried it with in the film rejects him. Yeah, but then I suppose later on he yes, does fuck says... her through blackmail. He raped that. I mean, that is rape. Yeah, clearly, because like absolutely the way he does it. that is rape. He says, "Oh, someone will pay," meaning Count Lippy. Yeah. But she misinterprets it as you'll pay for your job for almost killing me. And he uses that <laughs> to... It's opportunistic as well. It's like, He actually... Like, it's noticeably a director's direction has been to like show surprise in your face when you realise you've stumbled into this ability <laughs> to force someone to have sex with you. It's absolutely rape. And I realised that in the first four films... Only one of them has Bond not raped someone. How did he fuck up that time exactly? Well, <laughs> Messed out in an opportunity. There was, there was a fucking Miss Universe chucking him, chucking herself at him. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so all, all the time in From Russia With Love. He didn't have to, like, you know, go anywhere to do so, uh, get any sex. He just... There's... Um, a beautiful woman. Yeah, there's just... Tatiana Romanova. She wants me all the time. I might as well. Wet my whistle, <laughs> and even then he fucked two gypsy girls. Oh yeah, <laughs> so he did. But they loved him unconditionally, though. Yes, because one of the gypsy of girls comes back to a reprise a role in this film. Ooh. Not reprise a role, really. I know, <laughs> There's not yeah, another gypsy yeah. girl in Nassau, <laughs> <laughs> just fighting in the corner somewhere. Uh, this but, this scene is appalling. And this... did we ding the rape? No, I don't think we did. Ding the rape. There That's the rape ding. Well, appalling. On a slightly later note, the machine. Oh my god, that machine. <laughs> I don't know what it was supposed to be doing on the lowest setting. And I don't know why anyone would design a machine that would render I mean, a man unconscious with pain as a physiotherapy tool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it. It was so stupid. It was just magnificent. After his afternoon blackmail stroke rape, James heads into the steam room where he fortuitously finds Count Lippe relaxing in a steam pod. James sets the machine to its maximum heat and slides a broom into the doors, preventing Lippy from escaping. James then leaves, shutting the door behind himself to muffle the Count's frenzied screams. Whatever. <laughs> Very childish. What I like to think is, still at this moment in time, neither of these two men know each other no, at no. all. It's just become some strange, stupid feud so <laughs> to dumb. kill each other. <laughs> so, there's also, at the end of this scene, there's a very strange little moment where James is, like, massaging the the physiotherapist with a mink glove. Oh. And it, it, yeah. it comes from nowhere. And just disappears. It, it comes back later, but it just it's, yeah. It's, but it's, it's like it's about a second long, and he says something I can't remember exactly what, but it's 
it's so quick and it's so weird. It's just a little island of him rubbing a woman in the middle. Everything to do with that mink glove gets progressively more and more bizarre as it goes on. Is it an analogy for something? Or is it like someone watched it and actually had like a rational mind and thought, Jesus Christ, we need to show him being a bit more couple because that was awful. <laughs> Must have been. But all I could keep thinking every time I saw them together afterwards is like, James is still blackmailing her here. So, yeah. just pretend you're enjoying it, darling. Maybe it's like, you know, in prisons when like a prison bitch is forced to hold someone's pocket. Like they turn their pockets inside out and the person holds it and follows it. Maybe the mint glove symbolises like... <laughs> I own you. <laughs> That's upsetting. <laughs> we cut now almost entirely from nowhere to a room at an inn in the south of England. NATO representative Major Francis Duval is its occupant. He frolics on the bed with his secretary for a while before receiving a call to say a car is waiting to take him to the airbase. He gets ready to leave, though as he opens the door he's greeted by his exact double who sprays some kind of toxic gas into his face, killing him instantly. The double, whose name, as it transpires, is Angelo of bandaged face fame from the uh, the hell spa, mm-hmm. uh, with the aid of Duval's secretary, who was also in on the plan, and Count Lippi, who is also there, apparently having suffered no ill effects from being locked in a steam tub other than having like super duper clear pores. Uh, they equip Angelo with the necessary effects to convincingly assume the identity of Duval. Um, along with the tools needed to enact uh, his part of Spectre's fiendish plan. Whatever that may be, we still don't really know. Uh, he then leaves for the airfield in Duval's place. Yeah, that seems just quite boring, to be honest. I found it went on just yeah. too, too yeah. long. Um, uh, there is a very important part, though, for what we were discussing about integrity, where mm-hmm. um, Angelo stroke Duval uh, goes... Um, I want 250,000 instead of the 100,000. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't quibble with Spectre knowing that you know, they just... what they do. <laughs> they're some bad dudes. Um, but he also gave up two years of his life and changed his face and has, has been away from any family or friends. I mean, he makes a time. good point for getting more money. He certainly does. But he possibly should have bargained for it before the plastic surgery. Yes. Well, no, that was his, like, his foot in the door. Now no one else can do it. Ha ha. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, all right, whatever, you'll get your money, but I don't think he's going to get his money, Gerard. No. No. But it's built in integrity, so they should have just said, sorry, that's the price we agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, fair enough. They have integrity, so we'll see if he gets his money. Cool. The fake Major Duval fools his way past the airfield security and boards a training sortie flight, along with several other Air Force personnel and two atomic bombs for some reason. I I don't presume, Gerard, to be an expert on um, Air Force, mm-hmm. you know, regulations and procedures. But on a training sortie flight, would you carry two live atomic bombs? I don't over the south of England. Well, it seems not likely. I think they did do it actually. Really? I remember hearing a story about. I, mean, I seem they must have done because otherwise, to come up with this out of the director's own mind. You'd be an idiot, but <laughs> well, not perfectly. just something of approximate size and shape. Nope. <laughs> I think okay. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a training exercise, but there's some accident where one fell out of a American bomber, Jesus and it was something like four out of the five failsafes failed. 
fucking hell. So, it was, yeah. <laughs> also, while we're on the subject of atomic bombs, I, I'm not an expert on atomic mm-hmm. bombs, but I know there's fail-safes, and I know you have to arm the bomb and all this bollocks, uh-huh. but if an atomic bomb is just caught in an explosion, presumably that's not great. You... You wouldn't want it. No. Presumably there's some sort of... I would have thought it would be radioactive material, certainly. Toxic radioactive material that could easily be spread, even if not actually detonated. Yeah. Back in the mink room with James and his floozy, she complains of the noise of overhead planes, and James gets up to shut the window. On doing so, he very coincidentally happens to see Count Lippe moving the corpse body of the real Major Duval into Angelo's room. James quickly gets dressed and discards his woman in favour of going to investigate. So, let's let's start, as I was saying, everything to do with the mink glove gets really fucking strange. Um, yep. There's a line of dialogue here, another, the second line of dialogue, to be honest, um, it's, it's after yoghurt and lemon juice. Um, Those planes are enough to drive you mad, unless it's that mink glove. <laughs> everything about that glove is weird and then he gets up and he puts it on the bedpost like a little hat and it's strange yeah it's just more dialogue that doesn't make sense like it's the well, it's, way they say it is as if it's they're like quite, they're so witty yeah they think they're so witty but, but it, it doesn't follow it actually doesn't make sense no like, no it, it is moon speak it's like why would you compare being annoyed by a plane to a apparently relaxing massage I don't because both of those things are happening at the same time. And clearly equivalent. Hmm. This tea sure quenches my thirst. Unless it's these shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pure shit. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Every line of dialogue in this film, nearly every line of dialogue that isn't pure exposition, is fucked. Every time Bond has to do small talk or anything like that... Might as well have just, <laughs> just taken a fistful of words out of a bucket and chucked it at a wall. And more annoying things. I'm so annoyed by this film already. Completely tell. Just all the so many things just like jump straight. Normally, when I'm watching these, I have to strain a bit to be as pedantic as I am in the podcast. But this, it was a tumble. <laughs> that shit. That shit. That shit. Why did Count Lippe use the front fucking door? He is rubbish. <laughs> well, let me explain it to you like this. Okay, are you going to tell me? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, James opening the fucking window at the exact right time uh, to see yeah. it. Get it's not like they could have made it like you saw headlights and heard a car coming. He's obviously paranoid as fuck, like as a human being, <laughs> considering he phones up money penny at the slightest sign of <laughs> anything he doesn't like. <laughs> There's someone with a dodgy tat! What the fuck does it mean? <laughs> James is scared! <laughs> James, no like! James, no <laughs> like! Basically. <laughs> Lippe and his henchmen attempt to move the body into Angelo's room. There, they're interrupted by that meddling James Bond. They hide his corpse in a nearby Turkish bathroom, though Bond immediately finds it anyway. He unwraps the face and gets a good old look at it, remember that, and uses a nearby telephone to call the police. As he does, however, one of the henchmen attack with a knife. 
James instantly subdues him by dragging him through a window and hits a nearby fire alarm. He goes back into the hallway where he's met by his physiotherapist come blackmail sex slave who is angry at him for setting off a fire alarm. Uh, and she quickly relents though anyway and agrees to fuck him again when she realises her job is still in jeopardy. I know it's cliche. Uh-huh. But if you have a gun and you're pointed at Bond and you don't care if he lives or dies, shoot him. <laughs> we also get the line uh, when James sets off the oh, fire alarm. This is the, this is the line oh. I remember to you saying. Uh, a woman comes out of a room and goes, what's going on? And James says, could it be the front door? Uh, Fuck. Oh. It's not, it's... The way that I don't know. <laughs> so Maybe it's the front door. Is it doorbell? <laughs> Off you go. It's like someone is genuinely probably saw you set off a fire alarm yeah. and just wants to know why you did it. <laughs> and then yes, the other one comes along. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the woman comes uh, along and says, uh, "Haven't you had enough exercise for one night?" And Bond says, mm, "Funny you should say that." And when you consider that Bond is blackmailing that woman for a company, it becomes genuinely yeah. sinister. Yeah. Honestly. Aboard the training flight, Angelo takes his position in the co-pilot's seat. He switches his air supply from the planes to his own before unleashing a canister of Delta 9 or whatever, killing the rest of the crew instantly. He then assumes control of the plane. He avoids the Air Force's attempts to locate him on radar by flying under the required height for detection and heads out to the sea to meet his Spectre associates waiting for him on a nearby yacht. They have him land the plane in the middle of the fucking sea with the aid of some truly terrible underwater landing lights and he and his atomic cargo sink to the ocean floor. Mr. Largo dons a wetsuit and heads out to meet Angelo, who has become stuck in his seat. Largo instantly severs Angelo's breathing pipe to absolutely no one except Angelo's surprise, and a crew of henchmen set about bringing the two atomic bombs on board the yacht and covering the plane's wreckage with some genuinely top-notch underwater camouflage. I don't presume to be an expert (laughs) in aviation, Gerald. I think I've said that before in this podcast, but... That is like a, a bomber, right? Yes. That's not a seaplane. No. If you try and land a bomber, a stealth bomber, yes. a, a, a fucking jet <laughs> on water like that, and I say, again, I'm no expert, but what I see happening is one part of it touches the water and the plane disintegrates. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's usually what would happen. So when I saw the landing lights, I thought there's some landing strip they've got just like just below the water that they've set up, so it's difficult to spot, uh-huh. but it is there. But there wasn't. Nope. It was just purely land in the water, sink to the bottom of the ocean floor, cover it with camouflage. Like the guy's an idiot. <laughs> they've got to do this, so he's like changed the way he looks, destroyed his life basically. Yeah. Then he said, "Do you want to just crash it into the sea with two nuclear bombs on it?" Yeah, for a hundred thousand, <laughs> sure. <laughs> who we and also why the fuck does he need lights <laughs> like landing lights outline <laughs> a bit of tarmac so planes don't go off into a building <laughs> uh, sneakily killing Angelo that's the first Ooh. instance there of absolutely no integrity on the part of Spectre it's, the, it's quite a cowardly way to kill yeah. a man as well isn't it while he's desperate and struggling underwater to sever his breathing pipe yes. and let him drown it's, it's, 
it's cruel as well because that man now has to just panic underwater. It's not just like a quick like dead, like in the heart yeah, or something. Yeah, it's 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 a slow, ponderous death they've afforded that man. Bravo, Spectre. Bravo. This also starts to become quite confusing because I have no fucking idea where they are at this point. He flew out of England. Yes. He's what well, we know where it lands later. It's Nassau in the Bahamas is where he lands the plane. That's a long fucking journey. Yeah, I I had no idea, because there was a bit where they're talking about it. I I just thought he'd, you know, immediately kind of landed it or something. I guess that wouldn't be a smart thing to do, but... No, but... It wasn't made clear at all that any time had passed, despite the fact it'd be eight hours of flying or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, maybe maybe more. (laughs) Uh, the divers bring the bombs aboard the yacht. Largo turns the fuses over to Spectre's, I suppose, bomb fuse expert, Ladislav Kutz, and informs Blofeld of the success of phase one of their mission. Back in Paris, Blofeld congratulates Largo for his success, though notes the same cannot be said of Count Lippe, whose choices of Angelo may have jeopardised the entire project. He orders Spectre's execution branch, which an organisation with integrity would have, uh-huh. to take care of him. So, okay, there's there's a guy in this film, uh, I believe his name is Vargas or something, he's a guard for uh, Largo, and he is, I, he's my favourite character. Mm-hmm. He's the spitting image of Niles Crane, yes. and <laughs> he is the crappiest motherfucker there could possibly ever be. And he's, he's not even crap just as a guard, he's crap as an actor as well. And when the bomb is coming up through the underwater hatch in the bottom of uh, the Spectre ship, the Disco Volante... He, I've written, uh, I've written it down phonetically here. Stand by to win in the submarine. Like every every scene with Vargas in it is a fucking joy to me. He's a little diamond in the rough in this film. He is very it's just fun. weird. I don't know what he's meant to be. Like he's positioned as his sort of right hand henchman, but <laughs> he's, right. totally... he's the worst one of them all. <laughs> what? What does he do? <laughs> like... Well, he stands by to winch in Dasabawi. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Mop. Sorry for Mop. Mop. Stop. Hold it. Good. <laughs> but uh, also, what's... Is it... why are they all dressed in leather? Like... Oh, I mean, there's such a thing as style, Gerard. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I do know nothing about it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen you dress entirely in leather. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you for a second try and fool me. Yeah, I-, I was just, you know, I was... Trying to distract yeah, you from to, that. Trying to play like... the big man. You won't get. You won't get that one. That one past me, Gerard the Gimp Humphrey. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> oh, good. I'll probably cut it. Don't worry. Uh huh. Just like you cut that boy. Please uh, cut that. <laughs> Spectre have an execution branch as well for people that fuck up bit. Mm, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how it was that much of a fuck-up. No, it wasn't. That's the thing. It's like he the guy a, did the job really he, well. <laughs> he picked a guy that managed to land a fighter jet in the sea <laughs> <laughs> carrying two atomic bombs and then you've just murdered them both. Well, you haven't murdered them both yet. We'll see if Count Lippe gets away, guys. Or if he dies in the most spectacular <laughs> stupid way possible, guys. But yeah, he did the job fine. Count Lippy, I mean, he couldn't have possibly known this guy was going to ask for more money because he didn't say he was going to ask for more money yep. until the very last moment where even Count Lippy was surprised. 
Blofeld would have been surprised. Blofeld okayed this, and then, whatever, all right, he's dead. Integrity, integrity, guys. Back at the health club, we see James getting in his car, finally ready to leave. The physio begs him to call or write or somehow keep in touch with her, and James mumbles through his prepared spiel about how he will, but obviously he won't. He speeds off in his car, and Count Lippe follows in his own. And it is awful to think that her begging him to call is something he's made her pretend to do. He's blackmailed her, he's fucked her, and now he's chucked her. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. (laughs) Tough shit. Oh no. Oh no, I feel like I'm the physiotherapist and you're Bond. Oh. <laughs> I've got nothing to blackmail you about. You're safe for now. Uh, okay, well, I've got that boy that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shit! <laughs> Perhaps I am Bond. Perhaps the hunter has become the hunter. <laughs> yeah. uh, driving along the roads, James almost immediately clocks Count Lippe following him. Lippe, desperate to kill James now, I'm not sure why, but um. he is. Um, takes a shot at him, hoping to hit him in a speeding car by firing a revolver from the window of his own speeding car. He misses, obviously. James gets ready to activate his own car's horrible spy defences, though before he can, a spectre assassin pursuing on a motorbike uses their front-mounted motorcycle rocket launcher to blow up Lippy's car. The assassin then speeds off to ditch the bike in a river. They take the helmet off, and as they do, they reveal that the assassin is none other than Duval's secretary. I was kind of genuinely... Like, I just thought, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I found myself actually thinking, because I'm, I'm viewing this through the idea of talking about it in the podcast, like, mm-hmm. oh, for fuck's sake, here comes another goddamn boring car chase where the exact same thing happens. And then out of fucking nowhere, a rocket bike comes out, blows him up. <laughs> Connery just sort of raises an eyebrows and, the fuck was that? And then it's Ooh, just well, Connery, Connery is not really... Uh, giving me fear in this scene. Like, Count Lippy shoots him with a revolver and Connery just, like, sort of like, hmm, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I've got my spy car for some reason. Why does he have his spy car? He's off duty. Does he get to keep the spy car at all times? Yeah. That seems dangerous. He's a known psychopath. No, I don't no, worry. Okay, don't, don't worry about it. He'll just shoot gallons of water for no fucking reason to people. Bond arrives back at MI6. As he walks into M's office, Money Penny tells him instead to go to the conference room as something big has come up and every double O man in Europe is in attendance. James makes his way to the conference room and takes his seat with only minimal scolding from M for being late. M and the Home Secretary run the double O men through what's going on with the theft of the atomic bombs and whatnot, and they play the ransom note left by Blofeld for the Prime Minister, which demands payment of one hundred million pounds lest the bombs be used to destroy a major city in either England or America. M goes on to say that attempts to locate the plane within its flying range have proven futile, and unless one of the agents can recover the bombs, payment will simply have to be made. With that, he dismisses the agents until he can speak to them individually to give them their personal assignments. Just a, a wee aside, <clears throat> I love the idea that, you know how Bond, as you mentioned, seemed totally, like, just, oh, car blew up behind me, someone shot at me. He's pretty nonchalant. In fact... It gives us our first unusually callous clip concerning the death of another human being. Money Penny says, You are late. And he says, Yes, some people on the road really burn you up these days. (laughs) What a bastard. (laughs) 
I just like to think that all the double agents have this shit going on as they travel to a meeting. <laughs> yeah, helicopter threw a grenade at me. Shot the guy. Shot the guy's arm, grenade blew up in the helicopter. Got on a boat, did exactly the same fucking thing. Aye. Standard. What a quip about it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. That's not that good. I killed a man. I've I hate this job. I killed many men. It's, it's wearing me down. I don't feel anything anymore. I just do it. I just do it. Uh, the room. Yes, the room. What the fuck? The, the big super secret conference room where all of the double O men with super secret identities in Europe have been congregated um, with the giant fucking windows behind them. <laughs> it's just, it's a cathedral. It's a cathedral, yes. It's a cathedral with big windows that anyone can fucking look in. It looks out onto other buildings. Just look through that window. Oh, it's the bloody double O men again. <laughs> cool, I wonder what they're up to now. Shall we listen? Yes, because we can probably hear it. Ridiculous. <laughs> James heads to M's office to receive his assignment. M initially wants to post him to Canada, though James asks instead to be sent to Nassau as he recognised a picture of Duval in the information dossier and happens to know somehow that that's where Duval's sister, also pictured, is located. Not questioning this, Emma agrees. Outside the office, Bond talks with Moneypenny, and she suggests that he wants to talk to Duval's sister, not because she's of any huge interest to the case, but because she's rockin' hot. James denies this, though Moneypenny is sceptical, and he leaves for Nassau. How does he know that I don't... his sister's there? No. Surely out of all the pictures of a NATO pilot they have, <laughs> him Just sitting on a beach with his sister his is... half-naked sister, because a bit of four never oh. goes down on this. Double O's demand it. <laughs> he might have one, I don't know, of him in his uniform taken for official purposes. Yes. Nah. Nah, probably not. Oh well. But what... This really annoyed me because it's like Terence Young is like, oh, I won't just make the same film again. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll subvert all the bits we've had. So, uh, Bond comes in. He just places his hat yeah. on, the, on the, the hat stand instead of chucking it. Um... Moneypenny is uh, making fun of M when M comes out and Moneypenny gets scolded instead of Bond um, it's all these bits that normally it's like just... it's, he's trying to flip it the other way around so the audience is like oh my god that's too clever well it's the same thing it's not. the car chase as well mm. like it's obviously being set up the exact same way and then just ends abruptly a lot of dialogue up to this point that has been quite confusing and this is this is another one um Moneypenny asks, how else will you spot her? And he, she gives James his wank picture back, which he actually takes this time. And um, he says, oh, I can't miss. She has two moles on her left thigh. Which I know, I understand what it's trying to say. It's trying to say, I'll be fucking her mm. so I know, and I'll see these intimate bits of her body. But at the same time, you have a picture of her face. Is nah. It, just say, I'll remember, or, oh shit, you're right, I'll take that picture. Or it's... Nah. Wanky. And his hat then is missing as well, which is like, it's just piling confusion upon confusion upon confusion. How the fuck does he know where she is? Was there a reason <laughs> given? I don't know. 
There was I don't I don't I didn't catch any reason given because I was very confused by it. I was hoping you had caught something I missed, but no, no, just no. That's mm-hmm. where she is. I know that because I'm a spy. I got the first in Cambridge, so I know that. That must have been true. Where's my heart? <laughs> there must have been something, but fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck you, and fuck it. <laughs> uh, the bit where his hat is missing. This is fucking obscure. Um, it was supposed to signal James Bond stopping of wearing a hat as a fashion accessory. Why didn't they just not have him wear a hat? Well, they did. But now also this. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> now in Nassau, we find James scuba diving, water-stalking Duval's sister, who is flapping about underwater, picking up starfish and all bits of debris. She attempts to surface, but her flipper is caught between two rocks in the most wildly unrealistic way possible. Instead of just discarding the flipper, she opts to blindly panic. James intervenes and saves her. The pair surface and make some deeply confusing small talk before James returns to his own boat. He and Paula, his Bahamian contact who has a bit of the look of Rihanna about her, fake that their boat has stopped working and James asks to come aboard Deval's sisters. She agrees and she and Bond head back to the shore, leaving Paula literally stranded at sea for all intents and purposes. And not really... I mean, yeah. To to, to, to Deval's sister's mind, Paula is now stranded in the sea um, because Bond has a very important meeting. Yes, to get a very important So important. Uh, once back on the beach, James finagles a lunch date with the girl, a sly dog, um, and is pursued by a man employed by the girl's guardian, who is in turn pursued by another man in a baby blue suit. There's quite a lot going on here. Yes. Mm. But um, before we start chewing through it, uh, now we're a good, a good. Now, now we've got the, the, the plot under our yeah. wing. You know, we know we know basically where the film's going to go now. Basically, um, I thought we'd bring out the patented James Bond fourometer, and I, I just, I'm going to ask you, um, where, 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 where does this Bond girl, in your mind, uh, where does it race on the patented uh, premium Bond James Bond fourometer? Free. Uh, <laughs> You've subverted me. <laughs> I'm really angry. <laughs> Three out of ten, less impressive than a four out of ten, but better than an I'd give her one. Lovely. Of course, in giving me an actual number, you are the sexist. I am a so peg. Well Ding me. Ding me. The whole thing's just fucked up and contrived to the extreme. Mm-hmm. They know exactly where she is and what she's doing. Right. So they followed her, mm-hmm. but they don't know if she's being watched as a guardian or who the guardian is. Shut up, Bond. <laughs> um, so he's now saved her life as well, so that, in Bond's yeah. mind, legally entitles... Oh, oh. <laughs> legally entitles him to fuck her. And if she doesn't, then she's in breach of contract yeah. and will be punished. Accordingly. Because of the implication. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, there's some really odd dialogue here as well. Um, uh, Most girls just paddle around. You swim like a man. <sighs> uh, and then she she says something like, um, you do too. And he says, I've had a lot of practice. I don't know quite. Like, James... Throughout this in, this entire film, he's sort of he's trying to play like a character of like this sort of yeah, almost. Like, I, mean, I don't I don't want to quite say it, but like a beater male. Basically, <laughs> he's really he's really like he's like oh I don't know much about guns and women. Yeah, yeah, I it's don't know. Strange. What it sort of starts here. Where he's like, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of practice, and then she gives him 
a starfish and says, this is just exactly how it is in the film. She says, for effort. And he says, I'll wear it so you spot me next time. Then he looks at her thighs as she gets into the boat and says, I was right, couldn't miss, meaning the mole's on her thighs. And then she says, I'm not with you. And he says, oh, you soon will be. There's a, there's, there's a line of dialogue in between each of those line of dialogue that should be there, but there isn't. It's confusing. Yeah, I may have just turned off at this point. I can't even... I just let it just drift off me like total <laughs> just, shit. Just, yeah. There is a, a little a little goof okay. um, where they get off the boat at the seaside and you can clearly see a man just come up from under where they were sitting and take control of the boat just really trying to be as secret as possible but you can just see him it's very funny uh, Paula Bond's Bahamian contact was the one that was one of the gypsy girls from, from uh... Showing and she uh, needed extensive tanning because she was she's just English her name is Martine Bezik or something <laughs> well as long as they didn't give her a job to Someone that wasn't a wet English right, person. No, there's, there's not, there's not an awful lot of black people in particularly interesting roles in this film. In speaking roles, I think I can name one. Where are they in the world? <clears throat> the Bahamas. Okay, that's fine. Don't say anything wrong. But move on. Cool. That's full of whitey. Um, <laughs> uh, so the the man in the blade, the baby blue suit that follows them. Uh, spoilers is Felix. Later, he's back. Oh, he's shock! Cack! This Felix is absolutely terrible. Um, he's not really great at this whole CIA spy thing. He's in a bright blue suit on a beach. He's in a suit on a beach. Not even Bond is in a suit on a beach, and Bond is always in a suit. And in the book, this was after Live and Let Die in the series. So Felix in that book loses a hand in a shark attack. So imagine. This man, shock of grey hair, mm-hmm. bright baby blue suit, <laughs> walking around the beach trying to look inconspicuous with a fucking hook for a Abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> Bond and the girl lunch. Not very much happens beyond the girl letting Bond know that she has a guardian who owns a yacht and Bond fucks up by revealing that he knows her name is Domino without her telling him. But he covers it all up by saying, Your ankle bracelet says domino. Which, fine, I guess, well spotted, but also just try. Just try. She's knocking back James's advances as well, but with a sort of grim inevitability. Yeah, we know it yeah. won't last, and even if it does, he'll just rape her. Later yeah, that yeah. night, James heads into the casino, which somehow he knows Domino is in. She doesn't tell him. Um, also there for some reason is Largo who just so happens to be Domino's uncle although that may just be code for lover James gives Largo a whooping at Chemin de Fer which comes back uh, for a while before Domino complains to Largo that he said that he'd buy her a drink he however wants to win his money back first James offers to buy her a drink instead which both her and Largo accept there's a lovely friendly atmosphere here yeah it's kind of weird I mean again it's like the world shit as spy goes in and starts to just attack the person. He's... Yeah, yeah. It's as well. He does he even know? In the last film, in the, in the last podcast of the last film, you had a running tally of like all the times James Bond forgot he was a spy, <laughs> forgot he was supposed to be fucking secretive, and this scene is just—it's like 
it's Bond and Largo sitting opposite each other on a table, literally sitting opposite each other on a table, and almost oh, literally going, yeah. I know your inspector. <laughs> I know your ash boy. Because the exact line is, um, what is it? Um, There's a spectre on your shoulder. Yeah, it's That's sh- not a saying. Shit. That's not a Fucking saying. That's the, you might as well have just true. said, I know. And then Mr. Largo says, one of my associates spoke about you, which is as good as saying, like, why else would you have an associate that has spoken about this holiday maker on this island? <laughs> it, clearly, you both know. Just fucking say it and fuck each other. But then later on, he says, it's your spectre against mine. I get it, James. Yes, you know who he is. Stop it, just but pushing the salt in. There's no... This isn't a reference to something anyone would say or well-known phrase, as you said. It's I just don't think so. It's just like really a thing. bad script writing. Like, I mean, the spectre of defeat. What? What? Is that a thing? <laughs> I'm I'm still playing. <laughs> I'm doing quite well, actually. I seem to be winning every hand. I don't know why it took me so long for this to dawn on me, but this film is not remembering much of it. I obviously couldn't mm. tell, but. Uh, I have seen Austin Powers quite a many number of times, and this film is just where it all comes from. Like, almost fucking scene for scene in Austin Powers. Like, Largo is clearly number two. He's e- even actually physically fucking called number two. He's got the eye patch. Yeah, yeah. They meet him at a casino, and they do that whole fucking scene. It, it just dawned on me as I was watching this bit. Oh, this is where it all comes from. Why does James Bond know he's Inspector? Is it a ring? Is he wearing... I don't think he is. I mean, the film is not afraid of showing you someone wearing a ring and going, and trying to cover it yeah, really quickly. Yeah. So, James just fucking knows he's a spectadoodle. Mm. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, one. <laughs> Outside the casino, Bond and Domino talk about Largo without really saying much. Um, they then decide to dance, though it could probably be better described as holding each other while moving slowly in a circle. Bond attempts to flirt her into a fuck as they continue to talk about Largo, who eventually arrives and interrupts them to invite James to his house for dinner, for some reason. With that, Largo snatches up his niece or mistress or whatever, and they leave. Yeah, I don't know why he invites him for dinner. Why Wait. does he do that? It's... Is it just arrogance? It must be. That's the only reason I can think of. Yeah, because he's not even particularly planning to kill him. I don't it? think so at this point, or he might. No, I'm not sure. There seems to be some kind of like little tipping point that's hidden away from the the viewer, where um, Spectre all of a sudden go, "Oh, Bond, kill!" Yeah, they, they do know yeah. of Bond, so they must. Who knows? Bond returns to the hotel where both he and Paula are staying. He lets himself into Paula's room, but she isn't there. Suspicious, he enters stealth mode and looks around for clues as to where she is. He finds a tape recorder monitoring the room and listens to what it had recorded. In doing so, discovering that someone had opened the bathroom door very recently. He takes out his gun but is interrupted by a knock at the door before he can get down to some serious killing. It's Felix, who just about blurts out Bond's secret code name. However, it's cut short by James walloping him in the gut. Bond tells him to shh, you, shh, and flushes out the man hiding in the bathroom by turning on the shower he's hiding into full temperature. He disarms the man and sends him back to his superior, Largo, to tell him basically that James knows about him and ha ha ha, fuck you. 
With that, James, seemingly having totally forgotten about his missing colleague, pours himself and Felix a drink, and the pair relax. Lovely. My favourite <laughs> bit in this was he, he punches Felix as hard as he can to I, stop him I, saying I double seven. absolutely know what you're going to say. <laughs> and then immediately he turns around to him and says, you are about to say double seven while standing even closer, even, clo- even like, closer to the man who is still conscious. Yeah. You're a dick, James. There's no excuse for that. Not even trying. Mind-bending how piss poor it is. Wait 10 seconds, let the man go before he says it. It is just... It is criminal (laughs) crap. (laughs) But I did like the bit with the tape recorder where he sort of retraces all the steps of what's happened and the camera goes along with it. I thought that was... That's the first part of the film. (laughs) Apart from Vargas uh, with a Samawi... How shit the film has been for you so far. Yeah, well, it's a shit film, but it sort of reminds me of like uh, in the Batman Arkham games. Oh, right, you go about repiecing the... the crime together. I, I always really enjoy that, and it's kind of like a rudimentary version of that. And I thought it was it was quite well done for for the shit storm it's nestled in. <laughs> the man Bond let go drives back to Largo's house, the Palmyra, to tell him of his failings. Despite knowing full well what happened, Inspector, if you're even slightly associated with anyone even with a mild history of failure in their family, Largo is furious and has the man thrown into a swimming pool full of sharks, which he just has because of course he fucking does. So, Largo is pretending to be just like a holiday maker or like a, a person who lives on this island uh, yeah, with a holiday home or something. So. He's got a contingent of armed guards outside his holiday home, little suspicious, and a swimming pool full of fucking sharks. Which admittedly is premium bond, but so number one, yeah. <laughs> no, go on, no, go on, go on, mate, go on, <laughs> shut up, fine. <laughs> yeah, it as you say, this is still just like sharks with lasers on their heads, sort of stuff, and yeah, uh, Austin Powers, all just all of it comes from this. It really fucking does. As well. And why does he have sharks? I mean, I don't. He I'm... said he was collecting them for some maritime research or something. He donates them to something or other. But I think he's just a man that loves sharks. But he's I mean, evil after all. He's in broad daylight, like Bond in a helicopter goes over a compound at one point. So he actually just murders a man. Yes. In... <laughs> just right there <laughs> for everyone to see. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Bond and Felix meet up with Paula and Pinder. Pinder is Bond's man in Nassau, and at this point in writing, I bet all of my money in the world that he would die. But he didn't. Bond's little ethnic friend survives. But we'll see. We'll fucking see. (laughs) The four of them head into a nearby warehouse where they meet Q, who is there in a lovely Hawaiian shirt, to equip Bond in the field. Q powers through Bond's usual shittiness and decks him out with a Geiger counter watch, a flare gun, miniature breathing apparatus, and a radioactive tracker, which Bond is to swallow. Now geared up, Bond leaves. Uh, They walk into the the room, and Pinder has the radio on, Mm -hmm. uh, and it says, uh, Big Ben has struck seven times Uh, at six. Is that newsworthy? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Mm. But I'm guessing they can tell the BBC to report that. I suppose so. Though, also, to be honest, without wishing to spoil much, apparently it doesn't really fucking matter if the British were willing to pay or not. We'll come to that. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, I love Q. 
he's just a sort of lovely, doddering old man and doesn't deserve the shittiness he gets from Bond. As you said in the last one, Q is the reason that man is alive. True. <laughs> True. A thousand times over, he's the reason that man is alive. And Bond walks around, being a dick, making fun of him, and going, Oh, Jesus, I can't be bothered getting all this cool spy gear. No. <laughs> no. No. And he walks around, and he's also, he's like clicking fucking buttons yeah, on all this stuff. Yeah, he's being extra obnoxious with that. <laughs> in the last film, Q had parking meter that shot poison <laughs> don't click all the fucking buttons you don't know what they do you'll kill everyone in that room you'll kill everyone in that city if you're not careful <laughs> that's it he gets some stuff all it's of those things will be used interesting the stuff he gets no no it's yeah it's pretty standard shit like a Geiger counter to find an atomic bomb fine that's obvious uh, flare gun is just standard boating equipment uh, the radioactive tracker is just a fucking tracking device, which he had in the last film. And admittedly, this one is a lot less shit. I mean, <laughs> although it may fuck up his guy counter a wee bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My but it's, God. A, it's a little polythene baggie, which, as you know, is oh, the best okay, shield cool. for radiation available. But it's such a strong <laughs> amount of radiation that they can track him with. Double it? baggie. Nailed it. <laughs> he's put it in a little baggie, so. You've been shot full of holes. Get fucked. <laughs> That's fair enough. I shall now get fucked. <laughs> After briefly seeing Blofeld lay out the exact specifications of his ransom demand, he wants to have £100 million worth of diamonds dropped off for him in a Burmese archipelago, which is a strange request. Uh, we return to Cube Ranch where Pinder, James and Felix begin preparations to infiltrate Largo's yacht, the Disco Volante, by night. Pinder tells James they have a scant 55 hours before the government will just go through with the deal anyway. So they leave. It's not the biggest sense of trepidation, like a rich country just paying money for shit. No, it isn't. Now in the docks at night, Bond drives... He doesn't drive anywhere. No. <laughs> dives. I've misread it. Now in the docks by night, Bond dives into the water and sets about examining the very interesting bottom of Largo's boat. During his investigations, Bond is accosted by a harpoon-wielding underwater guard who raises the alarm. Bond and the guard struggle with James ultimately severing his breathing tube and sending him back to the surface. The guards on the boat then begin dropping grenades into the water, so Bond beats a hasty retreat. He releases his air tank, letting a pursuing boat drive into it. The guards on board believe, as James had hoped, that they have hit James with their propeller and speed back to tell Largo that Bond is dead. Bond then swims to shore. Bit presumptive, isn't it, really? A little. A little. You've not seen the body. I mean, you should be able to see the body. There's no reason the body would disappear. <clears throat> Unless he detached his air tank or something, I guess. But no, he'd never do that. That's insane. Why would he? There's a close-up of his watch here And he just sort of looks at it and goes Ooh, interesting But I don't understand what the reading means It's a watch face, it's not a Geiger counter It's not even ticking Why would he need to look at it? The Geiger counter surely is like quite audible I guess it's just like Ooh, I've discovered where the nukes are Oh, where they were, sorry The nukes aren't on board The nukes aren't on board which, fair enough, okay. If they're on board, if they're not on board and the Geiger counter wouldn't go off, then that's wrong here. If they're not on board and the Geiger counter would go off, then later on in the film, Bond has someone infiltrate the yacht with a Geiger counter 
which then the reading of means nothing. Shut up. Shut up. Number one. <laughs> Get fucked. Shut okay. up. Okay. Mm. How did the scuba guard know he was there? I mean, it's... Why a... did he have a scuba guard? I mean, clearly it's a good idea. Okay, then that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Strange to have, but... How many times does he have to change his air tank? How many people do they have to have rotating around a constant scuba guard? They've got well, cameras. It was worth it. They just don't turn the cameras on no, for some reason. Weird, weird that they, they wouldn't do that. But yeah, the scuba guard starts fighting with Bond, and then this is my favourite line in the film coming up. Um, Largo goes, Oh shit, something's happening, the alarm's gone up. Um, activate the underwater cameras. And they activate the underwater yes. cameras and they're looking and they go, activate the underwater lights and they get a better look at it. And it just leans in and goes, hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> and they just start chucking hand grenades into the water. Which clearly don't have a long enough fuse to sink down and actually kill Bond. They're just spooking him. With <laughs> Bond then emerges from the sea and stumbles onto a nearby road. He quickly flags down a car driven by a Miss Fiona Volpe and she offers him a lift back to Nassau. On the drive, Bond spots Fiona's absurdly giant spectre insignia ring, which she quickly removes, and the pair continue to make super weird, suspicious, and contrived small talk about how fast she's driving, until eventually they arrive back at the hotel, where coincidentally she happens to be staying too. Why is she wearing a big fucking spectre ring? She's been sent out. She's literally, it says in a previous scene, she's there to kill Bond, right? She's like Mm -hmm. an assassin. She knows that Bond knows about them. She knows that he's the world's most dangerous, most astute spy. And she's walking around with this big fucking I am evil ring attached to her finger. <laughs> Waving it around. Yeah, it's a reaction to it shows that she knows she shouldn't be wearing it. Yeah. Why would you bother? Why would you even put it on this morning? And does Bond, has Bond seen her up to this point at all? He's unaware of her no, until right now, isn't he? Yeah. So she immediately... Unnecessarily give herself away. Yes, immediately. Straight, straight away. away. Straight away. And if that was a dude, Bond would have grabbed the wheel, crashed them into a tree, and then beaten him bloody with his fists. No question if Bond had spotted a man with the Spectre insignia ring on. Yeah, but she's got a sweet rack. So... She does. She, Yeah. Yeah, she does. Mm. <laughs> Her mouth doesn't move when she talks as well, which is a. Turn on for you. Yeah, something I price highly in my women. <laughs> Just gonna. <laughs> and also, doing the line, as soon as Bond gets in the fucking car with her, how far do you go? Third bish. Gisha. Schwatch. Hen. Back in MI6's super secret spy warehouse, Bond develops the pictures he took of the underside of Largo's boat. He spots that the ship had an underwater escape hatch and deduces from that that the entire scheme with the bombs must have been carried out underwater. The next day, Felix and Bond take a helicopter out to search for the approximate location of the heist to see if they can spot any underwater clues. They find nothing, and further are confused as to how the Disco Volante could have been involved in the heist, given that they now know it must have taken place outside of the maximum distance of the ship, that it could have travelled from the harbour in the time it was noted to be out of the harbour by the harbour master. I have no idea what I'm saying. I They're in a helicopter, they give up looking and end up circling Largo's house to search for more clues. Or chucking beer cans at him as well. <laughs> 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 
I'm so confused by where things have happened. I don't just know the geography of this why they were in a helicopter. They're, like, they're in a helicopter discussing what they should do next. <laughs> Once you get in a helicopter, <laughs> it feels like your plan should have been established. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, I suppose they were in a helicopter because they knew that the plane was landed in water somehow. So they were looking for the crash of the plane because they think the bombs are still on it. Oh, okay. I guess. So they're looking for the plane, but they couldn't see anything because of sweet underwater camouflage or some shit. Or it was landed outside of the necessary range. Yeah, it's not actually explained how the um, Disco Volante did get outside its maximum distance and then back in the time it was. I don't think it's ever elucidated. Um, I don't cool. know. Cool, let's move on. <laughs> There's a... I mean... I didn't think there were so many inconsistencies when I was writing this down, but reading it back now, all in one go, it's this film doesn't make jot of sense. No, there isn't one bit that actually lines up with the previous section. It's just random bits of film put together. It really is, though. It's almost like a sketch show that's sort of loosely linked. Outside of Largo's house, he and Volpe look out at the circling helicopter. They talk briefly about how if Largo had made good on his attempt to kill Bond last night, the British government would have been made suspicious that the bombs could be stored there. And back in the helicopter, Bond tells Felix that Largo's house is his next port of call. Remember that. You fucking remember, with all of your mind (laughs) and your being, that if an agent goes missing, it will tip off the British government. Remember Right. Are you remembering it? I am remembering Great. it. Great, alright. Good. Can't see how it would be relevant. Uh, what, well, I'm not sure it will be, but I want you to remember just in case. That's fine, mate. Good. I'm remembering. Good, you better do. If you forget, I'll be furious. <laughs> Later that day, Bond pulls into Largo's house in his stylish 60s convertible to fulfil the lunch date which he and Largo had arranged previously. He talks briefly with Domino as she swims in Largo's pool before Largo himself arrives to greet Bond. He shows James around his manor, lets him have a go at his clay pigeon shooting range, shows him his collection of dangerous sharks and so on, and the pair make small talk in which they go to great, great pains to come as close as they can to saying that they know each other work for the opposing organisations as they can without actually just fucking saying it. Eventually, though, their play date is over and they sit down for lunch, though not before Largo, for some reason, asks Bond to accompany Domino to the Junkanoo, whatever that is, despite knowing full well that Bond will most likely end the night up to the hilt in her. I'm still confused about the relationship at this point. Yeah. Bang made. No, not their <laughs> relationship. Just Largo and Bond? I like him Bond, right? Why are they doing <laughs> Bang, mate. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah. No, this Why is are they doing this? At the start. That, um, Why are they... Are they... I mean, they... What do they get from doing this? What do either sides... I could not tell you. Uh, yeah, Bond... I mean, Largo has literally tied, tried to kill Bond the previous night, and Bond absolutely knows that Largo was on that boat. He knows it's Largo's boat. It's registered to Largo... He saw Largo get on it. He knows Largo tried to kill him. Largo tried to kill Bond and knows it was Bond. Yeah. Why is he still dancing around there like this? They both know and they both know each other know. It's... It makes no sense. Uh, Bond is a prick. Oh, I know. I've got down shotgun massive prick. Yeah, everything with a shotgun. He walks in (laughs) and he says, 
That gun looks more fitting for a woman. It's a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, small gear one. It's for shooting clay pigeons. But um, yeah, so then he gets he gives Bond a go at a clay pigeon, and Bond's like, uh, "Oh, it looks terribly difficult." And then, without looking, brings his shotgun up and just shoots the oh. fucking clay pigeon. And I can't think of a better way to expose yourself as being someone who's quite good with a gun. <laughs> well, I guess it's not that hard. But also, Largo knows this. And hands him a shotgun while standing next to him. That'd be a funny way to end the film. Just <laughs> one point blank, like <laughs> his head. I wish we don't have to worry. Uh, Mr. Vargas is in this. Oh, Vargas comes yay. along. Oh, wait, hold on. Is this a really weird bit? I'm not sure. I only really noticed that he, he had his sunglasses on and they were squinty. <laughs> Just get a fucking grip, Vargas. But it's is terrible. this when he turns around and says, Oh, wait, you don't drink. You don't make love to yes, women. That's you right, don't. Yeah. What, what is what is your passion, Vargas? He says something. He can just make him look a bit awkward and then yeah, he's... fucks off. It's like it's what? like why are you telling Bond these things? It's strange. <laughs> it's as if there was meant to be more of a character to him that yeah, never got fleshed out no. in any way, and he was just this limp, dicked weirdo <laughs> sitting to the speaking, side. Speaking of limp dicks, um... sup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is one of these bits where Bond is like playing a character that's like, um, you know, a little bit sort of uh, beatish. Yeah, and uh, I am useless. Uh, like, I'm not what you'd call a passionate man. He says, I mean, "It's like, what's your passion, Bond?" He's like, "Oh, I'm not what you call a passionate man." And then he ruins it instantly by glancing over the woman and going, "What oh, fuck you bored me?" <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's weird. Why does he? Why uh, is he playing this? There's no narrative that requires no. it. He watched him and he's bright. Ferrari red <laughs> swimsuit get chased by people chucking grenades. He's a passionate man. <laughs> well, maybe he's not. Maybe he's just a psychopath. It's nothing inflames his passions. He's just dead eyed. I need to do this because it will result in The queen in told good me to do me. it. <laughs> the king told him to do this. Mm, it's a little reference to a later shit. scene. We now get quite an odd scene in Paula's room where she is relaxing. From nowhere, Fiona Vulpe lets herself in. She acts surprised to see Paula there, reasoning that Bond must have arranged a date with them both. Confused, as I am also, Paula <laughs> excuses herself to the next room where two of Largo's guards charge in, pin her to the bed and smother her with a pillow. Volpe grabs the prints of the boat that Bond took last night and that's the end of that scene. Why did Volpe need to come in in the room first? Um, it just makes it awkward when she leaves. Just charge in with two armed guards, it's the same. Oh, Volpe's a trained assassin. She could easily just wait till her back turn. Yeah, I don't really know what it's... And when she picks up Prince, mm-hmm. like... He knows. <laughs> it's a picture of a door for all intents and purposes. The smothering is very, very funny. Um... And it's like they put a pillow on it, and they're literally just pressing their fingertips onto the pillow. Like they're so dainty about it; they don't want to hurt the actress. But it, it looks crap. Um, so that's done now. Paula's gone. Ignore her. Um, did you remember? Yes. Uh-huh. What did you remember? Um, kill them at all costs. Right. No. See, if a British agent or British agent associate goes missing. Mm. then that's a big red flag. Woo, 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 the bombs might be here. So the first thing they've done is break into Paula's hotel room and kidnap an associate of a British agent who will report her missing. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Effie gave a fuck enough. 
True, I guess they're bargaining <laughs> the James Bond like, another missing bitch, I don't care. Ugh. Couldn't he fuck her anyway? I could. <laughs> I don't ask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I find it wish time. <laughs> oh, he's just Dennis. <laughs> the From Dennis system? He doesn't have a Dennis system, he's got the... He's got the R system. There's one letter R, and it's just rape. Aww. Uh, it cuts out a lot of the legwork. It certainly does. Bond and Domino enjoy the junk new, which is like a shitter, more annoying Mardi Gras. Their fun is interrupted, however, when Felix appears to tell Bond that Paula has checked out of the hotel and is now missing. Bond leaves Domino with Felix and speeds back to check on his contact. Or he doesn't. Instead, he instantly returns to MI6's warehouse to gear up for a nighttime infiltration of Largo's house. I guess Paula can wait. Mmm. The weird bit in this is she's waiting for Bond. Mm-hmm. Bond has no intention of going to see her. No. Like they work together. It's not like a date date. They are just. Yeah. He said, "I will meet you at this time." Mm-hmm. to do spy shit <laughs> and then she gets abducted so it's all Bond's fault absolutely everything that happens is Bond's fault in the world and I haven't written it down in the notes here but also Bond requests a power cut so that's important to remember that because oh, that's, okay. a, that's yeah. a big plot point the power cut the retardometer breaks as Bond begins his infiltration. He quickly dispatches a guard with a judo chop and lets himself into the building. Once inside, his clever power cut plan quickly becomes unravelled as Largo switches to generator power. Bond explores a little, however, and finds Paula dead, apparently having bitten into a cyanocapsule before the unconscious guard's body is found and the alarm is sounded. Bond heads outside and is pursued by guards. He manages to shake all but one who attacks him, dragging him into the swimming pool. Largo operates the pool controls, pulling the inescapable metal cover over the top of it and lets his sharks in through a super-secret shark hatch. Bond, however, knifes the guard in the belly and allows the sharks to feast on his remains as Bond himself escapes through the shark hatch, having learned literally nothing from this entire episode. Before you say anything, let's play a fun game, Gerard, of... Who's Stupider? Hey! Is it Bond or is it Largo? Can I present the evidence to you? Go for it. Thank you, good. Bond begins this scene by running fully stretched out in a black turtleneck along a brilliant white wall. So far, Bond's the stupidest. So far, Bond's the stupidest. Largo, when Bond falls into the swimming pool, Largo's guards have guns trained at Bond, and Largo says, No, no, I've got a better idea. And he operates the pool controls, locking Bond in the pool, and then activates a mechanism that gives Bond an escape route. Yes. And doesn't close it. No. Why would he? Um, Bond is outsmarted by Largo in the fact that he has an emergency generator, which of course he fucking does. Yeah, yeah. Largo has installed one tiny flimsy hatch which separates his swimming pool from a deadly shark tank. (laughs) Bond climbs on top of a roof and drops his gun, which discharges, letting them know where he is. Largo abducts Paula, which is no different to Bond, so the government's still going to be tipped off. Bond lets the sharks into the swimming pool and then points at the dead body so the shark knows where to go. <laughs> so go on then. Who do you think's who do you think's thicker in this scene? Uh, 
tough, isn't it? It's close. Yeah. I think Largo. <laughs> so at least Bond demonstrates it's... some aptitude. Bond escapes. Yeah. Largo fails to achieve. Yeah. I mean, he could still. If it's the only thing he wants is the morose spectacle of sharks ripping a man apart. Mm-hmm. Could have just left the covers up and shot him if he tried to get out the pool. They didn't cover the shark pool either. That's obviously the way he would escape. That's the only way out. Everyone just goes to their bed after that, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> it's also the way he says, oh, no, no, don't. Don't shoot him. I've got a better idea. What you've got is a situation there where you're shooting basically fish in a barrel. <laughs> as literal as you can get without actually shooting fish in a barrel. And he's like, nah, don't. I've got a better idea. This would be funny. <laughs> and they, they do walk away, don't they? Yeah, they just walk away, yeah. I guess by sheer dumb luck, Bond, just because he doesn't get himself killed despite the fact he really should have. So Let's say Largo. Largo yeah. is stupider. Hey, well done that, man. There's some shit dialogue here. Um, Vargas comes in and Vargas says, um, he looks at Paula's dead body and says, what do you think, cyanide? And uh, Ladislav is also there and he goes, she's dead. So yes, cyanide. <laughs> what, do you, what do you reckon? It's a bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Maybe they poured the cyanide for the hole. <laughs> the sharks here as well. Um quite do so <laughs> yeah and you can see as well Connery uh, is behind a sheet of glass at one point uh, and it looks so he puts his like he's waving his hand and he, he sort of puts it up against the glass and it just stops moving <laughs> which is obviously not how it would look in water without a sheet of glass to put it on rubbish um, the, also the sheet of glass was only three feet high so the sharks could actually swim over it to him don't know why they bothered with it at all and in the last part where Bond escapes the shark pool the shark that makes a run at him was dead and being yanked on a wire. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Because I actually noticed that, like, I thought, oh, that was quite close, like, for the stunt guy or whoever. That seemed yeah. Shark was really going for him. It was dead. Being yanked. Did he kill a shark? I'm not sure. Maybe it was just a dead shark. It probably killed a shark. He killed a shark, didn't he? Uh, Also, in the book, I'll have you know, young man, that Pinder was supposed to go along with Bond and die, but they cut it out of the film for time constraints. So, Terence Young keeping a perfect record of Bond's ethnic friend dying. They couldn't even be bothered killing him. No, they could not. (laughs) He was so inconsequential he didn't get to die. Bond heads back to the hotel and lets himself into Paula's room to search for clues, probably. Inside, he finds Fiona Volpe taking a bath, and Bond's cock overpowers his brain, and despite knowing full well that she is a Spectre agent, beds her with almost no effort. That, um... Yep. That's a scene. <laughs> later... Oh, that's, that's quite a funny bit, honestly. It's, it's ding-worthy. I'm going to get my ding ready. I'm going to pre-ding it. But when she's in the bath and she goes, Can you give me something to put on? And he gives her a pair of shoes and just sits down and watches. I thought that was actually quite funny. In a terrible, you shouldn't be doing that sort of stop it. Way, it's but... viewed through the idea that he knows who she is and he's just making her feel uncomfortable because it's an enemy agent. But yeah. <laughs> you know it's because he just do that to anyone. I reckon. So. It's why it feels bad. But I think it feels funny because it's just two people fucking with each other a wee bit. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's it's I found it amusing. I mean not, you know, hilarious, but he's no Michael McIntyre, I'll tell you that. Good. Um <laughs> uh, he sees her ring again, which he's left on the fucking side, despite knowing that she was there to honeypot bond, she left it out. Why is she keeping it? Out? It doesn't matter at this point, I guess, but I don't know. Why they can't just go, I know you, you know me. Let's just fight or whatever. But, but they fuck out of it. So. That's true. So well done. Horror but it, w- it wasn't for any pleasure. She was a crap shit. Well, I mean, at least it doesn't make that completely obvious. No, because that would be ungentlemanly. There's some more weird dialogue here. Um, very, very strange. Where uh, he's like, I need to get to the junk canoe to meet my friends. Exposition. Mm-hmm. And she says, mm, the music will go on all night anyhow. Enough to drive you wild. Do you like wild things, Mr. Bond? And he says, Wild? You should be in a bloody cage. And then she goes, Ooh, this bed feels like a cage. All these bars. Do you think I'll be safe? Kind of weird. You know what it is? It's sort of like in Twin Peaks where they have the dream with the backwards talking. (laughs) But I mean, Burns in no is way... suit. Burns is suit. <laughs> <laughs> in no way doesn't make sense just because she's a wild animal who's in the cage. Yeah. Why she need to be kept safe? Look in Burns's suit. <laughs> <laughs> After sex fucking, Bond and Fiona get dressed, ready to head out to the junk canoe. It appears in typical Bond fashion that Bond is gearing up to kill, beat or interrogate this woman on the way. However, before they can set off, Fiona pulls a gun on him and lets her armed guards into the room. The pair talk briefly about how bad each other are in bed before the guards escort Bond from the building. Because apparently it now doesn't matter if the government know where the bombs are because Bond has just been abducted by armed guards in the middle of a hotel lobby which is pretty fucking conspicuous. Why? Word might get back. (laughs) Nah. Right. (laughs) It's not like the CIA are keeping constant tabs on him. I mean, Neil, they just know the bombs are there. It's just a clusterfuck. They're just racing to see who can be against who's more stupid. It's just who happens to be lucky enough to be less stupid will win. You already know Largo's in a bad position with that, actually. Bond says that what he did for this evening was for... Sorry, what he did this evening was for king and country, which... Uh, was it, Bond? Uh, at that point, Queen Elizabeth II had been on the throne for 13 years? Shut up. Weird. <laughs> but yeah, um, so it, it, what he did for this evening was for king and country. It didn't give... Uh, you didn't think it gave me any pleasure, did you? And uh, I, that fact, is a part of the film I would love to see literal Bond do. He doesn't need to sleep with her. She doesn't no. need to sleep with him. No. He could just have the guards burst in at any moment. Yeah. And grab him. Yeah. Probably while fucking would have been better. Yeah. At least he'd be a bit flustered. Yeah. Imagine Connery trying to fight with a hard, semi-hard cock, <laughs> rapidly wilting penis. Really rapidly wilting, or the fighting and violence fitting <laughs> gorgeous. Fucking, why don't they just shoot him in the room? Um, They're going to abduct him. And where do they abduct him to? Well, they take him to the junk canoe and then he escapes. Oh yes, I remember Spoilers. the next scene. Yeah. Oh god. Should we talk about the next scene? Go for it. Oh, lovely. Bond is driven to Largo's house, though on the way the car is blocked by the Junkanoo parade. As they wait for it to clear, a drunk man leans in the car window and offers Bond and Fiona a drink from his bottle of firewater. 
Bond kicks it from his hand and pushes Fiona's lighter into it, causing an explosion. <laughs> With the guards momentarily distracted, Bond runs into the parade suffering a gunshot wound to his calf as he does. He weaves through the floats and dances with the guards tracking him by his trail of blood until finally he apparently eludes them and ducks into the Kiss Kiss Club, which is an open-air sort of bongo fest, I guess. <laughs> is the best way to a couple of things in this scene. Please, please take the lead. Take what the, the reins, fuck was the guy drinking? <laughs> was he actually just consuming petrol? Yes. It's and real firewater, man. They knew that this was on... They planned a route, and they acted surprised when the car got stopped by a massive dancing parade. Bond's blood is fluorescent red, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's just crap special effects, or <laughs> if all the radiation he's been around in this film alone has just made <laughs> it like that. There is a shot of a taxidermied dog so... in the middle of a street, pissing. I... I don't know if it's taxidermy, but I rewound it quite a few times, and it does not move a fucking inch. And I'm pretty sure it's not actually pissing. It's just got its legs cocked, and it's um, it's in the middle of a street, and it's just standing absolutely still, and Bond runs past it, and it's right in the middle of the parade. It's very, very strange. Um, it was originally cut, but the producers saw the footage and enjoyed it so much <laughs> that they put it back in the film. Right. It gets worse. <laughs> They enjoyed it so much they put it back in the film, despite some of the natives of Nassau um, wanting to get their, their moment in the sun on the James Bond film. So they joined this fake parade, uh-huh. and they had big hats on it that say 007 in giant yellow fucking <laughs> letters. So they ruined that shot, then they cut that shot, and the producer said, Ah, it's good enough anyway. <laughs> to be honest, it, the continuity errors and the, and the, the factual, like, all that stuff... That's worth having in the film for that shot of a dog pissing because that's that's funny. <laughs> no, no, I need you to understand. That's funny. I didn't even notice it. I don't understand why anyone would petition to have it kept in a film. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> that they would be that simple, but uh, dogs pissing—that's right funny. Uh, so Bond ducks into the toilets after that very boring scene and he uh, wraps a bandage around his leg wound quickly before heading back into the club. He spots the guards looking for him, so he snatches a woman from the bar and drags her out onto the dance floor in order to blend into the crowd. This doesn't work at all, and as soon as he begins dancing, Volpe taps him on the shoulder and asks to cut in for some reason. The pair dance as she demands Bond return with them to Largo's house and Bond openly mocks her until the guards lose patience and aim a revolver at James from afar. James spots this quickly and, much like in the last film, flips his woman round to take the brunt of the attack, which in this case is a bullet to the spine. He sits the corpse of Volpe down and heads out of the club. The guards apparently no longer pursuing him for some reason. Because she's dead. Right. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, why did she start dancing with him before the guards tried to assassinate him? Why? I mean, why would she put her life on the line like that when it could have been the life of that innocent woman that they risked instead. I guess they are a, they have their integrity to worry about, so I suppose that's... That's true. That's I mean, they wouldn't want to risk a civilian um, with the nuclear bombs. <laughs> she gets shot in the back. The bullet, first of all, does not penetrate through her with a revolver shot. Mm-hmm. It does not hit Bond. Probably should. Even if it doesn't, Bond's got his hand over where she's been shot almost immediately afterwards. It seems like he hasn't moved his hand there. It's like either he's got the best fucking 
reactions in the world, like, like Spider-Man style, like he flips his finger open. And yeah, goes. yeah, like uh, live long and prosper. I did see that, and I've kind of wondered what the he- like. I'd never, I didn't see the hand move to cover up the no. bullet wound, but he also just dumps a bleeding corpse in a chair. He does, and. Makes a quip. He makes his little quip. What does he say? Do you remember? Um, she's dead tired. Something. Close. She says, "It's it's actually more literal bond than that." All right. Says, Do you mind if my friend shoots this one out? She's just dead. Which yes, she is true. She is absolutely just just dead. dead. Also, this uh, scene starts with um, unfortunately just a lady shaking her tits randomly. What a film is all I want without that in it. I mean, also another question. Mm -hmm. There's more than one bullet in the revolver, yes? Yes. There's more than one guard presumably carrying the revolver too. Say there's six in a revolver. There's four guards. 24 bullets. So? Nah, best fuck off. Missed once. I mean, now you've killed your boss. Yeah. It's like in You Hitler. might as well not achieve your actual objective. We return briefly to MI6, where we see M and the Home Secretary preparing to pay Spectre the diamonds they asked for, bitching and moaning about it the entire time. Before long, it is now tomorrow. Bond and Felix have headed back out in their chopper to once more look for the hijacked plane. After some hours of searching, the pair are all but ready to give up when Felix mentions they're flying over the Golden Grotto. Recognising the name from the type of shark Largo had in his house, Bond demands the helicopter be taken down. Once landed, he dives into the sea, quickly proving his hunch correct and finding the remains of the plane and Duval stroke Angelo, whose dog tags he snatches. He surfaces and tells Felix that the bombs weren't left on board the plane, so they must once again attempt to infiltrate the Disco Volante. Shoot that shark. (laughs) (laughs) Favourite line ever. Shoot one of those sharks, it'll keep the others occupied, is what he says. (laughs) Just unleashes a light. It's very, very sexy. Um, They had the model of the plane underwater. Yeah. Obviously, it was actually there in the sort of Nassau sort of bay. Uh, And when the filming was finished, they blew up the model of the plane so no one else could use it in filming. (laughs) Seems petty. I mean, just take it out of the water or something. Nah. (laughs) Why would you do that when you can cause damage to something? We come now to my favourite scene of the film. Mm Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's a ton to talk about in this scene. Um, So anyone uh, whose attention is flagging, including yours, Jen, I'm I'm sorry, you're shit out of luck, because I'm going to (laughs) say that one. Uh, Bond now must find Domino in order to use the death of her brother as a weapon to turn her to his cause. To do this, he underwater stalks her once again. The pair meet scuba diving in a coral reef from earlier and quickly hump in full scuba gear and in salt water. Once they're finished fucking in what must be the most ludicrously uncomfortable fashion, they surface. Bond informs her that her brother's dead after they fuck and tells her that Largo was to blame. He goes on to tell her that he needs her help to find out when the bombs will be on board the Disco Volante. Angry at Largo, she agrees, and he gives her a camera which holds a hidden Geiger counter, with which she will be able to tell if the nukes are on the ship, possibly we've already discussed it. The pair leave, though as they do, she tells James of a secret bit behind Largo's house which he doesn't let strangers near. James decides to check it out. What I like... Go on. ...is she fully accepts that Largo has got a couple of nuclear bombs or something like that. Yes. And presumably knows that he's going to kill lots of people with them. Yes. Well, 
<clears throat> it's interesting you say that because the plan was never to detonate them. The plan uh-huh. was to detonate them if they didn't get payment. Yes. But James is like, oh shit, loads of people are going to die, but the British government is making the payment. Mm-hmm. So that's not the plot of the film. It, this is the point of the film where it just everything slips like a little bit and it's not <laughs> quite right anymore. It wasn't right before, but... Okay, fair enough. He's just getting the bombs because bad peoples can't have them. Yeah. So, but she still knows this. Yeah. Yet it's the death of her brother <laughs> Yeah. that makes her question... The death of her brother, which Bond has told her about, Bond has his dog tags... <laughs> Nah, man. What's suspicious about that? And he's just betrayed her trust. <laughs> nah, man. Cool. No, but he is hairy, so... Mm. Let's talk about the, the, the fucking a little bit. Um, Go on. Fucking in a scuba outfit with a breathing tank on. I don't know if it's actually possible. Seems dangerous. It seems very dangerous and it seems uncomfortable. The salt mm. water while fucking can't be that pleasant. I've never fucked anyone in the sea. So I wouldn't know, um, and I've never fucked anyone while obs- like being choked or obscuring my breathing because I'm a prude. <laughs> I know Gerard as much as I try to convince you that you <laughs> love it, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fucking awful. And I actually looked up um, uh, Yahoo Answers. I ended up on uh, can you can you have sex um, underwater in a, a scuba gear? And the only answer, and the best answer, was just someone saying, yes, I have done it, mate. I <laughs> really enjoyed that. That makes it seem impossible, then, doesn't it? <laughs> and then he, he, they come up afterwards. Bond, all of a sudden, is wearing a shirt and has a harpoon gun, which should be enough to frighten a woman who doesn't yet know he's a spy. And he says, I hope we didn't frighten the fish. Fuck did he get a harpoon gun? Where the fuck did he get a harpoon gun? Where the fuck does he have a harpoon gun? Where the fuck did he have a shirt? <laughs> There's very confusing dialogue here where um she steps on like a sea egg or something and it gets like poison yes. barb in her and he flips her over and sucks the barb out of her foot and he says, That's the first time I've tasted women. Don't know why he said that. Um uh, and then he says, I've something upsetting to tell you and she says, You're going away. Sorry, my dear, it's all over. Big old bucket of words <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> There's another fantastic line of dialogue. This this actually ranks amongst my top favourites here. Um, he says, he's trying to convince her to sort of like, snap out of it, you silly woman. And he says, hmm. look, Largo had your brother murdered, or it was on his orders. It's the same thing. It's literally the same thing. It's, oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just exactly. It's literally the same. <laughs> uh, he fucks her before he tells her her brother's dead which is the way to do it because otherwise she won't be in the mood yeah that's true you'd have to wait a bit or something Uh, Bond is snippy with her he just betrayed her trust told her her brother is dead and then she's angry she's like not getting the plan right so that's a little little ding for that one Uh, the camera that he gave her was never a Geiger counter Q explains that it's a burst fire camera it takes eight shots very quickly the watch is the Geiger counter all of a sudden the camera is the Geiger counter why the fuck not Pile in. Just get in there. Just, yeah, great. And then Vargas shows up. <laughs> Vargas. And he uh, he sneaks up behind a sand dune and he's getting ready to, to shoot Bond in the head. And Bond, almost without looking, turns around and shoots Vargas 
through the chest with a harpoon gun with not a shimmer, not a good <laughs> ounce of regret or or any sort of gravitas to it, and says, I think he got the point. <laughs> they just leave him pinned to a tree, don't they? <laughs> He's not even necessarily <laughs> they dead. They do. Someone's got if to find went, a corpse. If, if it went through like his stomach, which it looks like it went through, that's a slow death yeah. as well. If it didn't pierce his heart, he's got he's gonna suffer and die slowly. And also, he's again for the guy that's sort of primed as the weird asexual henchman mm-hmm. <laughs> who's not particularly physically strong, no, smart, absolutely not, or useful. Like he's just no. a bog standard henchman. How dare you? <laughs> sorry, sorry. He's albino or something. So He is my beautiful little flower, and the world is darkened <laughs> without him in it. Sorry, I'll, I'll go and like his memorial page you've set up on Facebook. Good. Heart you, Fargus. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, uh, I, I was I was very sad when they killed him with Gutted. Um we get an unusually callous quip which actually I think is the first one that's like proper proper bond yeah it makes sense yeah it makes sense it's, it's sharp it's to the point it makes sense it's not great and they used it with my favourite character <laughs> but yeah it's it's less shit than the other ones at least we get a series of quick shots wherein first James has a bit of a look around the secret bit at the back of Largo's house and decides to swallow his tracking pill we then see Domino boarding the Disco Volante with her camera Geiger counter in tow and finally back to the secret bit where Largo has some goons arrive and change into scuba gear. As they do, Bond picks off the most isolated guard with a judo chop and takes his place. There are so many judo chops in this. Uh, yes, the first one, the one that decks the guy though, I mean that's got to be, he judo chops his ankle and just yeah. goes over like a... <laughs> Big sack of shit. I, just, I have to wonder if Austin Powers, like the makers of it, actually watched another Bond film, or they were just like, yeah, that, just one, just pick one, that'll do. It's got everything in it, apart from like a useful henchman. Every other, so, Fucking, I'm so sorry. I will fly at you. <laughs> tell me you love Vargas and he's very pretty. <laughs> I will not tell you that. I'm livid right now. Honestly, <laughs> I'm just about to shut this down. <laughs> Bond swims with Largo and his guards, boarding the Disco Volante from underneath. Soon after, Largo and his crew depart Nassau and set sail for Miami. When they arrive, Largo and his men head down to the ocean floor in a lovely little yellow submarine thing. Largo quickly locates and lets himself and the crew into an underwater bunker built into a boulder on the ocean floor where the bombs are being kept. He and his crew load the bombs onto the submarine and begin extracting them back to the boat. As they do, however, Largo notices the Bond is amongst them and orders one of his men to take care of him while they finish transporting the bomb. Bond quickly dispatches the man but now finds himself locked alone in an underwater bunker as his supply of air quickly dwindles. Why did Largo and his guards need to swim up to the boat from underwater? It's his boat. He routinely takes guards on it. Um, Are you going to tell me to shut up? I wasn't actually, but shut up. <laughs> they all come on board the boat, and Bond must have kept his scuba gear on the entire time, <laughs> the entire drive from Nassau to Miami. No man just likes to feel a rubber. What's the problem? <laughs> Damn it, Gerard the Gimp. 
can I only face with that? Can't we get bringing your strange fetishes into play here? The tape fuel. <laughs> a secret bunker on the ocean floor. Why bother? Keep them on the fucking boat. Keep them on the fucking plane. Yeah, Bond did find both of those places though. Although, yeah. actually, to be fair, he didn't actually get onto the boat. Yeah. So they were perfectly safe. Yeah. Also, it's not quite an underground bunker because they. It does connect to the outside world. It connects to a big crevasse thing, which is going to come into play later. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. 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 Back on board the ship, Domino takes out her incredibly loud Geiger camera and looks around a bit. She proves how utterly inept she is when she almost immediately is caught with it by the returning Largo. Right away, he sees it, and indeed hears it, and figures out it's a Geiger counter, and then deduces that Bond has turned her. Furious, he throws her onto the bed, ready to deal with her. It's really loud. Yeah, and again, he knows the nukes are on board. Yeah. Like... He knows they will be on board. Yeah, like, there's absolutely no need to have endangered her at all. Apart from it's funny to bond. <laughs> it's almost, it is a bit maybe like a fuck you to Largo. Probably, yeah. I mean, he enjoys just playing random main games with men he doesn't know or have any reason to suspect or a threat to. There's a confusing and very upsetting bit of dialogue where he snatches the camera he says... Mr. Bond gave you this little toy, I imagine, and Vargas is dead. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> How did you find out? Was it? Why oh. is he saying that? <laughs> so no, it's be- because of you. My best man is dead. But he doesn't know that. Just making the big assumption. I don't fucking know. <laughs> right, shut I up, mean, me. <laughs> so many of them have died. Why does he give two shits about Vargas? Well, because. Vargas is a gorgeous little flower that needs to be nurtured with the water of love. Press him to your bosom. Accept him into your life. Never. Oh, wow. Okay, you're being really difficult about this. I'm I'm honestly... I I mean, outside the jokes of the podcast, I am angry. (laughs) Now you make me furious. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, Bond searches around the underwater bunker for an escape. He finds a route upwards... Uh, and out of the sea into a deep crevasse from which he can't escape. However, for now, his air supply is no longer an issue. I cannot tell you how bored I was at this point in the film. This bored as a man stuck in a big hole. Oh, shit, that's why they're doing it. Yeah, it's oh, no, really... it's not. It's not. They're just crap. Oh, sorry, okay. I just thought they were good, but no, they're crap. <laughs> Back on board the ship, Largo proceeds to begin torturing Domino in order to find out how much she knows that Bond knows. Before he can really begin, however, he's called away by old Ladislav Kutz, who tells Largo that they're activating the bombs, for which he said he should be present. Largo agrees and leaves. Why are they activating the bombs? Payment's being made. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Um... Okay, okay, alright. At this point, you could say they're activating the bombs in case the payment doesn't go through, they're going to make good on their threat. I don't know, is it because Bond's being an uppity bitch? <laughs> it could be. Bond might have legitimately just... endangered the, the world. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. He's certainly not acting like a rational human being in, in any way diplomatic. He's trying to fuck his mistress for no reason. Yes. And just keeps prodding no him and prodding him. Dynamite bit of totty. 
That's true. But um, top skirt. Do you need any more of a reason? I don't. Can we talk about torture for a bit? Go on. Oh, delight. That's my favourite. Uh, Largo's methods of torturing um, Domino are to use cigarette burns and ice cubes, which, I mean, for you, is just a Friday night. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I'm not as weak as that. I need to ramp no, it up. Exactly. Like, um, ice cubes... Yeah. Not, not that cold, really. I mean, like they're going to make you a little uncomfortable. They're not a torture device. Cigarette burns would suck, but you know, some people do that for a fetish. Yeah. Some people could masturbate to being burnt with a cigarette. So it's it's hardly. I mean, she she presumably does not enjoy being burnt, sexualizing <laughs> a cigarette burn. But still, it's it's probably it's yeah, it's a bit lame. Yeah, he's yeah. maybe super evil. Kutz comes in the room. He's just sort of pressing an ice cube against her neck, <laughs> and she's like, "Nyeh, nyeh, nyeh." <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like, all right, the first thing that comes to mind: take a finger mm-hmm. and insert it in like one of her nostrils, and just sort of pull. Uh, and that's less pre- exactly <laughs> that's less pleasant than having an ice cube pressed against your your head. Just slapped, punched. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's not go too too far off the deep end with it. Slap and punch her. I mean, until... Bond has slapped far more women like, a lot harder. He's he sure has. a lot of pain. He sure has. Felix, following the signal from Bond's tracking device, heads out in a Coast Guard helicopter to rescue James. He quickly does, and James tells him that the bombs are on board the Disco Planty, and that they seem to be getting ready to detonate one of them, at least, in Miami. So they are detonating the bombs. Apparently. And payment is happening. Yes. They're full of integrity. If they're going to blow up one of the bombs, mm-hmm. why would they get payment for the other one? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to pay you. All right, we're going to blow up one of the bombs. No, then why, why would we pay you? Or we'll do the other one. Well, we don't trust you now. <laughs> Bond has a radioactive tracking device in his body. Probably more dangerous than the nukes. Yeah, probably. And... Um, he also shoots a flare gun up, which Felix has a device that tells him exactly where James is located, and James shoots the flare gun, which fair enough to James, but, but and Felix is like, there he is, he's over there! And you know that, <laughs> because you've got a device that tells you exactly where James is at any given time. Yeah. But... Whatever. Flare gun. <laughs> <laughs> also, Bond tells Felix to get on to the, uh, the radio man at Orlando Beach, and Orlando is inland. Hmm. <laughs> a simple look at a map would have stopped that. Nah. Largo and his men transport the bomb from their ship to the detonation point. However, as they do, a contingent of Coast Guard officers tipped off by Bond parachute into the surrounding water. A huge, lengthy and genuinely quite tedious fight ensues between the two factions, with both sides suffering heavy harpoon-related casualties. Bond soon joins the fray, wearing a huge underwater jetpack that shoots rockets and shits out tons of pollution. The fighting continues for genuinely close to ten of the minutes of my life, before finally the Spectre men uh, eventually surrender to the Coast Guard, uh, and the majority of them are taken to the surface. However, Largo and a few of his men escape, with James in pursuit. James quickly kills one of the guards with a harpoon gun, and the Coast Guards apprehend the other, but Largo is still on the loose. He shimmies his way back to the Disco Volante, 
uh, gets on board and commands his crew to haul up the anchor and sail away from the impending Coast Guard doom. Bond quickly grabs onto the anchor as it raises and is dragged along for the ride. I have to begrudgingly say this is the second part of the film that I've quite enjoyed. Okay, just, what bit? Just aesthetically, just the... Oh, okay. The, 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 the different colours of men sort of attacking each other around a coral reef. It looked very nice. It was so boring. It was very dull, but the problem, I could take some physical pleasure out of it. Fair enough. Way. <laughs> the problem with underwater stuff is it's very slow. It's slow, and you... I mean, you can't really build up enough power underwater to genuinely do any damage to another human being. So Bond's judo shop underwater came as a rather big surprise <laughs> to me. Think of how little that would hurt. It's yeah, no, really funny. If you did it on the bridge of my nose, I probably still wouldn't even recoil, I think. Yeah. It's the worst technique as well, a big flat hand. <laughs> it's just you would just be knackered within like a minute. <laughs> and also harpoon guns. It's a one shot thing, isn't it really? You'd think that, but many of the men were clearly shooting more than once, despite having no extra ammo hanging around. Rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. It took me five minutes into this ten minute long scene to realise that I was probably watching the climax of the film. <laughs> Honestly did not get it. I was like, oh, where are they going with this after? Hang on, is this it? Yep. Furious. They've got the bombs. <laughs> there's no blood at all in this scene for the first what? seven minutes. You mean there's going to be blood from harpoons? <laughs> yeah, I think there might be. Bond stabs a man in the eye at one point and Get there's no... out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was really visceral as well. Very unpleasant watching him stab a man in the eye. It came out of nowhere. It's just one of those things like uh, coral from... getting burnt where it's just like, oh shit, yeah. that's, that's worse than I going expected. Going from judo chopping a man underwater to yeah. actually just doing something that would cause damage. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as soon as they show the sharks, there's loads of blood everywhere. Like, way more blood than, <laughs> than there possibly even should be. There's a fucking, like, the entire sea has turned red. You think because of the current of the sea, the blood might sort of like get swept away quite quickly. It's the entire fucking yeah. screen just red with blood. It's, it's just sort of occurred to me. You said it was a very dangerous thing that happened, mm-hmm. and you've not mentioned it yet. No, I have not. It is not in I, this scene. It I is. think <laughs> that doesn't leave a lot. No, and no. it ties up with something I thought was watching. Great. Okay, well. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we move on to the last uh, little scene here and uh, uh-huh. see see what my little tidbit of information is? This one's a, a big, big description here, so buckle in. Okay. It's all gone a bit tits up for Largo as he speeds away from the U.S. military ships and their constant bombardment of shells, despite the fact that Largo could and indeed does still have one atomic bomb on board, which is why I asked whether an explosion around an atomic bomb might be bad news, which I still believe probably will be. Largo releases smoke bombs from the back of his ship and then jettisons the said back of his ship. The guards on board the jettison portion of the boat stand and fight against the might of the US Coast Guard but are ultimately exploded horribly. We see Kuntz free Domino telling her that he thinks Largo has, has at this point gone a little too far so he wants out. Uh, and he tells her that he threw the bomb armors into the sea. Meanwhile, Bond clambers his way up the anchor and into the ship. 
He makes his way to the cabin and quickly dispatches Largo's guards, accidentally pulling the boat-go-really-fast-now lever and making the boat go really fast. Largo and Bond tussle on board the speeding boat for a while before finally Largo seems to have Bond at his mercy, with Bond floored and Largo pointing a gun at his head. Before he can pull the trigger, however, he is struck by a harpoon in the spine by the now-escaped Domino. Bond spots quickly that the boat is headed for some rocks. He tries to steer them clear, but dead Largo has his arm through the steering wheel, so Bond just decides to abandon ship. He, Domino and Kuntz jump off board and into the sea as the boat, with giant nuclear bomb on board, careers into a rock and explodes. A US military plane flies overhead and drops off a life raft, which Bond and Domino climb into. Bond inflates a weird blimp thing and attaches himself and Domino to it. The plane then circles around to catch the wire from the blimp uh, in its front bit and lifts both Bond and Domino into the air and indeed to safety. The film ends and they probably fuck. So is this the first Bond again playing (coughs) with perceptions or expectations where they end up in a boat but they don't actually fuck in a boat? It's right clever, isn't it? (laughs) You wouldn't wouldn't see it coming. Um, He's a simple, that man. Terence Young. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's the part where they jettison the back of the boat and the, the crew are still shooting at the Coast Guard. Yes. At that point, you've no means of propulsion, and you've been just ditched mm. by your commanding officer. Just give up. Yep. I wouldn't keep shooting. <laughs> I would have stopped before. I wouldn't have joined these days. <laughs> I wouldn't have joined Spectre, no. It seems like such a risk for very little reward right. for an average grunt. If everything doesn't go absolutely perfect, you get murdered. <laughs> Good chance Bond's going to show up and brutally end your life and then make a quip about it I mean there's no pension good enough to make up for that that ain't cool no uh, Largo is terrible he is he's so crap at being a villain he's like Bond's fighting the henchman and Largo stands up and like, hey stop that Bond just literally slaps him with an open <laughs> an open palm and he sits down and he's like out of the scene for a while and the boat the sp- Bed up footage yes, of the boat careering at about... unrealistic speed for a boat to be going. <laughs> and also... And also they, they turn the boat to get away from the rocks. Uh, Absolutely wouldn't get away from the rocks. That's not how boats Why work. does no one just take the throttle? It's a lever. Yeah. Pull it back. And the thing about water is it puts up quite a lot of resistance. <laughs> it would literally stop within 10 feet. <laughs> okay, not quite... But yeah, at least when... think it would. It would probably not strike a rock with enough speed to detonate whatever did explode on the boat. Probably. Let's speak about the explosion on the boat, shall we? Woo! Is that what you think I was getting at with the very, very dangerous bit? Oh no, I thought oh. it was going to be the guy that gets a big bit of wire strapped to him and snapped up by a plane <laughs> what would no, really awful that, that does look <laughs> awful and it does seem like that would just pull Bond's rib cage out the back of yes. it but that actually apparently was a real practice called uh, skyhooking which yeah. I'm genuinely surprising to me because it looks like it would kill a man I kind of knew about it from um, games or some shit and it's used in Batman as well mm. but the way it happened just looked it looks real oh, it looks real awful <laughs> yeah it's that's just... a good way to dislocates all of the bones in your body certainly but okay so the boat exploding was the very dangerous thing so the boat explosion was a real boat they exploded Mm -hmm. Um, 
And John Steers, the special effects guy, decided to use an experimental rocket fuel <laughs> to detonate the boat. Okay. So, so far so bad. Um, I mean, we've got explode. This is the 60s. We know how to yeah. make things blow up. Without using... Yeah. We've been through World War Two. Yeah. He didn't know how much to use, didn't know what was going on, because it was experimental. And the blast was so powerful <laughs> that uh, 30 miles away on land, windows were blown out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's quite a big blast. That's a very silly thing they've done. Oh my sweet lord. <laughs> Welcome to the 60s. Uh, a lot of animal like life would have been killed by that. <laughs> Just saying. So Largo in his big fucking ridiculous diving suit, he dies. I know, he's dead. Oh. But Bond doesn't... He doesn't really do a quip, does he? We're back to no quip for the main villain dying. <sighs> I know, I know. But worry not. Because I've done some of my own. Here we go. So, he sh- Domino shoots Largo in the back, and Von could go. He could go. Um, there's no time to showboat. <laughs> it was really fucking hard to write this. Yeah. Um, uh, looks like the Domino toppled you. Largo, fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm quite Duke Nukem esque. <laughs> <laughs> is there much of a difference between Bond and, and the Duke? Just less swearing, actually, is the only difference, so yeah, fair enough. It was a tough one this time. I'm not proud of what I've done. But it's fine. I'm proud. Ah. My last little point here is where the unholy fucking. I don't God. know. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm going to say then. Where the fuck did the third guy go? <laughs> Dead, I can only presume. Couldn't swim. You see, literally made a point of saying, I can't swim. <laughs> he literally gave him a rubber ring and said, Here you go, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he makes fun of him, doesn't he, before he dies. Well, I don't know. I mean, does he die? Or, I mean, in, in an original cut of the thing, Kunt stays behind to detonate the boat which I'm not quite sure how okay. Um, okay but I think that's why he's not in the water but then they show him jumping into the water in this one and they got Bond and fucking Domino back to do that last bit you know oh. to jump into the water why not just get them all to reshoot the last no okay fuck you shut up great <laughs> good well that was fucking Thunderball I guess Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's made the least amount of sense. It, it, it just made me angry all the way through. I wasn't angry, it was just sort of... It was boring, it was exasperating. Like, all the little bits that didn't tie together, I didn't... I say all the little bits. All the main plot. really anything tied together in it, to be honest. I think... It was almost quite astounding, quite impressive in the sheer amount of bits that just didn't go together, if anything. Yeah. Again, like I said with the dialogue, it seems like each bit of dialogue needed an extra line of dialogue in between to explain the next bit. It's the same with the scenes. Each scene needed 
one extra scene in the middle, just just a second or two, just and then to the explain. Mink glove. So let's. I mean, let's finish this fast properly. Uh, what would you rate this film numerically out of ten, and what are your reasons? Um, probably four Boom. or five. Four or five. Where would you five rank? Five feels high for yes, it. Five feels so. so. I might even give it like fucking three or two. Really? Even. I really didn't like this one at all. I can't. I'm trying to think of plus points for it. Um, well, I'm going to ask you your favourite scene in a, in a couple of seconds. But think <laughs> Christ, I don't know. I guess. Honestly, no, there's not much I enjoyed about this. No. At all. I um, mean, for me, I had Vargas to cling to, but even I he didn't was have snatched him. away. No, I didn't even. So what were your favourite and least favourite scenes in this film? Let's start with your favourite. Keep it positive. Um... <laughs> <laughs> underwater so fight, I guess? As in... Really? <laughs> that bit you described as, as painfully tedious. All of it was painfully tedious. Like at least that was some something was kind of happening in it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Like, and honestly, I can't. I mean, mine was probably the bit where Bond is like uh, trying to tell Domino, right? Okay. About the thing, and Vargas gets killed because it's. I mean, it, I like it because it's rubbish, though. It's the yeah. probably the worst bit in the film, but. No, it's, it wasn't a great film. Worst scene? Worst scene. Again. I mean, are we going to be in sync here? The, 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 the physiotherapist the, rape is probably my favourite. I think that was probably uh, my... That, that is certainly the most morally appalling, but I don't know if it's my least favourite because there was a lot I didn't like. Like the, the casino thing where they're just like, I work for this one, <laughs> I work for that one. I didn't like that at all. It was boring and it was confusing. I didn't like the bit where he's going through the Mardi Gras uh, Junkanoo parade. I thought that was long-winded and dull. Um, anything where something absolutely ridiculous didn't happen, I thought was absolute crap. It was either <laughs> it was either absurd or it was boring, which is not a great indication. Yeah, it's, um, I didn't even find it absurd enough, this film. I just didn't. Well, there are certainly absurd parts. Oh, oh yeah, maybe yeah. your your favourite scene parts. could be the the bit with the uh, the jetpack at the start. Okay, yes, I'd forgotten about that actually. Okay, yes, following yeah. the rule of absurd is at least funny. Yeah. <laughs> then yes, okay, that would be. <laughs> okay, so not a great review of this one. But the next one is, um, I know I've literally said this every time, but it's you only live twice. Next. Okay. And that is the one I honestly have seen a lot of. Yes. And I do, I yes. honestly remember bits of it, I promise. I <laughs> promise I do. And I remember really enjoying it. I think I said at the start of this in the first one that it's my favourite Bond of them all, <laughs> which I still hold true to. Uh, so <laughs> this is big, like, this is a big moment for the next one. Because I think we, we've got some bonus episodes planned where we're going to be doing, like, little things that are sort of slightly tangential to the Bond series, but still somehow linked. But I think th- we'll be doing that, our first one of them, after You Only Live Twice. So next time we do this, we'll be seeing if I like the film as much as I think I do. Uh, remember to uh, send us a little likey-loo and a subscribe on uh, Facebook, 
on facebook.com forward slash flemings.shame where we might put up a little tribute to our beautiful angel lost too soon taken from us in his prime Mr. Vargas Henchman um, or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash premium underscore bond or probably on iTunes soon I'll whack that up there as well I might edit that in after or maybe I'll just leave it whatever we um, tell us how much you enjoyed it because it's the only sort of validation either of us get in our miserable miserable lives I hope all of you listener had a good time a better time listening to our review of Thunderball than we had watching Thunderball because we both hated it and would give it no thumbs out of a possible four thumbs so come back next time and hear us <laughs> really negative about a franchise you presumably hold quite dear uh, when we review You Only Live Twice. Goodbye. Goodbye. Where's my heart? <laughs> ah!